Hello and welcome to Game and Watch with Aaron and James, uh, the podcast where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we have been watching. I am Aaron. And I am James. And today we are concluding the series of four episodes that we are doing. Um, we are doing the game Banjo Kazooie. It's uh, uh, and, and tell the people what this yeah. is the series about. Yes. Yeah, so so to recap, um, Aaron picked a game in a movie that I had never played or seen. And I did the same. And we're we played them. We watched them. Now we're talking about them. So we started this series, I believe, with Holy Motors, which was a movie pick of mine. Uh, and then we did Chrono Trigger, which was a video game pick by Aaron. And then we did the horror movie Misery a movie pick by Aaron. And now we are doing Banjo-Kazooie. And I'd say that I think we have some, I, I could really couldn't have been happier at how this turned out, given that Banjo-Kazooie is a game that I think is like iconic. I can't believe, I couldn't believe you hadn't played it. I also couldn't believe that I hadn't played Chrono Trigger. And I'm sure you similarly could not believe it. Um, so this is exciting. Uh, if not just, I mean, you're experiencing this, one of my favorite games of all time for the first time. And this is very exciting. Yeah, and it's uh, it's kind of crazy uh, because it's kind of a huge gaming blind spot, uh, and I we can talk about it later yeah. uh, with history, but uh, just very briefly, like I uh, kind of wrote this game off when I was a kid, uh, mm-hmm. and coming to it as an adult, playing it through fully for the first time, uh, that was a mistake. Oh, that, yeah. okay, interesting. All right. Let's get into it. Um, Bedro Kazooie was released in 1998 for the Nintendo 64. It was remastered for Xbox. Uh, who cares? Uh, and it is going to end up on Switch, which is kind of new. Uh, very, well, very, yeah, very soon, actually. Very soon. Recording. Yeah. Um, and then it was created by Greg and Steve Males, uh, the two Brits I mean, developed by Rare, which is another British company published by Nintendo. And yeah, this was when this is during the rare glory days. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, not not too far after Mario 64. It's really paved the way for 3D platformers. And I am sure we are going to be making many comparisons to Mario 64. Definitely. Um, And we can't uh, we kind of need to also mention uh, that rare kind of got their foot in the door by uh, making Donkey Kong Country. Yes. uh, For Nintendo. Um, Donkey Kong, obviously a Nintendo character, uh, but uh, Nintendo gave rare, you know, kind of free will to to download or download uh, to create a Donkey Kong uh, 2D platformer. Uh, So we got all the Donkey Kong Country games. Yes. And we will cover at least one of those games at some point. Yes. It's a must. Um, do you want to talk about the history of the development a little bit? Yeah. Um, so this went through kind of an interesting, uh, development. Like when you look at the finished product versus where it began, um, it actually began as an isometric, uh, RPG, uh, on the SNES, um, where you were a young sword wielding youth who fought pirates. Um, I've actually seen, um, some screenshots of this build of the game. Have you seen them? I actually haven't. Um, it's actually, I've only seen like one or two, but it's actually really impressive uh, how good the game looks. Because um, again, I say isometric. And when you hear yeah. isometric, you're thinking probably something really zoomed out. Yeah. Um, but it, actually, the screenshots I saw were very zoomed in, like high detailed isometric models of really? like of, of uh, humans. Yeah. Like um, this, again, the sword wielding youth and then the pirates you would fight. Um, but for obvious reasons, uh, mainly because of probably the graphical intensity, um, especially if this is going to be a full, you know, role-playing game. Yeah. Um, it, it quickly, this game got moved. Uh, they realized it could not uh, stay on the SNES. 
Um, it got changed over uh, into less of a, an RPG into something with, um, you know, closer to Donkey Kong Country, which they had made. Um, another build of the game on the Nintendo 64, you can see uh, Donkey Kong, or I'm sorry, not Donkey Kong, Banjo, um, our lovable bear with a backpack. Um, he is playable, um, but again, have you seen screenshots of this build of the game? It's almost like a 2.5D, but a little bit more, looks very similar to Donkey Kong Country, but there's Banjo. Have you seen this? I haven't. So yeah, there, there are screenshots out there as well. Uh, and actually I've seen footage of this. So if you can imagine Donkey Kong Country for SNES, uh, like the opening level, yeah, imagine yeah. imagine that 3D um, and imagine it r- running on Nintendo 64 hardware and imagine Banjo being in it. And that's kind of what they had at that time. Interesting. Um, and then from there, it shifted to kind of a full, um, you know, not Mario 64 alike, um, I hate saying that, um, but the fact of the matter is Mario 64 was the first big 3D oh, platformer. Yeah. Um, and so not that Banjo-Kazooie was aping that necessarily. It was just kind of the style at the time. This was their take on a 3D platformer. Yeah. Um, and so it evolved from there. Um, and also very tellingly, um, this came in 1998, um, whereas Mario 64 was 1996. Yeah. Um, there is definite growth from Mario 64. Absolutely. And I and I think and, and I do compare the two games a lot, and I I never really do it to disparage Mario sixty four. I do like this game more, but you know it's been it's two years after the development of Mario sixty four. You know yes. it wasn't you know this game uses a more advanced technique to render its graphics than Mario did. It had two more years, right? But Mario sixty four made such an incredible impact. It can't it, it, we can't even get into it. It's just it's such an impact. There were so many. Mario 64 3D platformer clones. Yes. And this, I think, stands above many of the rest in just establishing its own identity, really just kind of going for this really kind of adorable style. Um, there's a little bit of like dark humor in the Banjo series, um, but it's very cutesy at the same time. And I just think it's it's just this really exciting like lovable blend of of all of that it's 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 really wonderful yeah um and then there's a there's a technical note uh that i did not realize but makes sense why don't you tell us about that wait which one uh just that the the technology the rendering um was different yeah uh, yeah oh yeah yeah i mentioned yeah yeah it's it, Uh, it, it was i mean it's just smoother like i mean you can tell it's it's really looking i mean really looking at any of the 3d platformers in like the 1998 time like versus 1996 you can tell a difference but sir i think banjo does actually stand above the rest and i think banjo 2 we kind of stood above the rest too when it came out although there were some frame rate issues with that game but it's a it's a technically advanced game for the time i really feel like everyone including grant kirkhope who wrote the music can't not mention him. He did Goldeneye, Perfect Dark, Donkey Kong 64. Anyone could recognize his music. They put their heart and soul into this game. It's really, it's a game that feels like it's made with a lot of love. And I'm romanticizing it a lot. And I'm going to try not to do that too much during this episode. Um, Because I, there are, this game has some flaws. I will, I will perfectly acknowledge that. And I know we're going to agree on at least one of them. Um, But yeah, it, it just, you know, wonderful game. Um, it was released to widespread critical acclaim, and I would say that that really hasn't ever died down. I think that the era of 3D platforming, the N64 era, 
has had kind of like criticisms across the board. I wouldn't say that there's a lot of criticism specific to this game, like 3D platformer, N64 era, like camera work, not always the best. Um, Swimming mechanics, which we will get into, not the best, you know, but those are criticisms that you could really make across the entire genre. I would agree. Uh, anything else to mention about the development? Oh, I guess we should uh, mention that kind of this process of, you know, they weren't sure what to do with this project. It looked kind of different uh, over time and they it got retooled quite a bit. Uh, that seems to be like a rare kind of thing because they did the exact same thing with Conqueror's Bad Fur Day. Yeah. Uh, they weren't really sure what to do with that character either. They had a bunch of different builds of that game uh, before finally landing on um, on that. So um, they definitely seem like a company that are willing to um, experiment with their own IPs and kind of mix and match their own um, resources. Yeah. Um, obviously because we're doing this as part of a series where one of us hasn't played the game. Uh, my Aaron does not have a history with the game, um, except, you know, writing it off. Right. I mean, being, yeah, I mean, you're well aware can, of the game. I, I, I like you didn't know. Well, I'll get, I'll briefly give you my background yeah. such that it is, as it is. You I want to know your attitude background. of like, when you, when you heard like Banjo-Kazooie this, Banjo-Kazooie that, I mean, were you not surrounded by that hype other than from well, like, you know, media? Um, no. So, uh, I, I really, I obviously heard of this game. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people know Banjo Kazooie, um, but uh, it, my actual history with it—the uh, only play time I'd ever had with it uh, was with my cousins when we were kids. You know, contemporaneously when it came out. Um, you know, 1998, 1999, um, my cousins had it. They did not have Mario 64. I had Mario 64 and did not have Banjo-Kazooie. Okay. Um, and so I always thought they were the weird ones with this Mario knockoff. And they always thought that I was the weird one where I had this, you know, old fashioned stodgy Mario guy because they had never owned a console before the Nintendo 64. So Mario kind of didn't really mean much to them. Um, so Banjo-Kazooie was kind of their 3D platformer of choice. Um, and so it was very much the like, oh, this is like the RC Cola version of Mario. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just I, I watched them play it. I played, you know, a little bit, you know, Spiral Mountain and maybe the first level, you know, when I was over a couple of times. But that, yeah. that was about it. I put it down, didn't touch it, didn't really think about Banjo-Kazooie for years. Um, uh, this is the first time I've sat down and actually uh, played the game nice. in a meaning in a meaningful way, not just right. around. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um my history is uh, the opposite. I played it uh, in 1998. I remember going to Target and when, you know, they had like the N64s set up, if there was a new game that was out and you could kind of give it a try. I think my, probably my biggest memory of that was doing it for Ocarina of Time, but this was a close second. And I, it was, I initially started playing it where I was like, what the heck is this? Like, this is not Mario. Like I, this just is like someone trying to do Mario, but I had 3D platformer fever, I think, because I fell into it immediately. I found it incredibly charming. I thought, you know, we'll get into it a little bit, but like the character voices are really usually just kind of pretty funny. Um, some are a little annoying. Um, it, it just has so much charm. Uh, and the, the music was great. Um, the collectibles. I mean, I, I still like playing games where you have to collect a lot of stuff. And if you're going to make these like cool sounding like notes and jiggies to pick up, I mean, I'm, I'm all in. I, I was just completely... I was its target audience um, and I played it. I loved it. I have played it many, many, many times between then and now, as I sit here age 32 
<laughs> I still play this game a lot. In fact, I I'll touch on this briefly. A, a couple of friends of mine, we had started kind of speed running the game, not like professional speed running, just kind of like we it started out where we were just like, who could beat the game the fastest? And I lost and I owed a, a friend in college a, a case of beer. And we picked it back up like years and years later. And I was just, I was really good at it. Uh, not as much anymore, at least not compared to them. Uh, my two buddies have gotten better than me at, at, at it. Uh, it was bound to happen at some point. Um, but man, is it is a fun game. Um, you can beat it pretty quickly. It's just a, and, and if you don't, even if you're not trying to rush, this is just a really well-paced game, I think. There are a couple sections where there's a little bit of like stalling or just a difficult platforming or swimming that you have to do. Again, we will definitely get more into that. Um, but I would say this is a really well-paced game. It's a good length. Um, it's just such a, such, such a well-designed game that I think lends itself to, to replay. So, yeah. Yeah. I, and that was, um, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, we kind of talk about the levels themselves, but really quickly, I just want to mention um, one of the things that caught me by surprise uh, playing it is, is just kind of a little bit how ahead of its time it was in, in that pacing, um, comparing it with something like Mario 64. I'm going to naturally say in this episode uh, that I'm comparing this to Mario 64. And I, you mentioned it earlier, like I'm not trying to do that to like, you know, yeah. fight our, our, our Pokemon with each other. It's <laughs> just because Mario 64 did it first on the yeah. Nintendo 64. Like there, it just invites a lot of comparisons. And also too, you could probably replace the phrase Mario 64 with like, any 3d platformer you know just kind of that genre or the conventions of that genre as well um and i will say and we'll we'll talk about it later re or i'm sorry not replaying playing this game uh for the first time has the last few days maybe really really consider like why do we play 3d platformers are they fun like should we like should they exist like i've been thinking about that a lot too because i feel like there are some 3D, I mean, there's a lot of 3D platformers out there that I haven't played, even though I was super into to the genre back then. Like, but there are like games to people like, oh yeah, have you played Glover? It's super underrated, like a really great 3D platformer. I'm like, I, I never, I, like, I tried it. I think I had like a ROM for it on an emulator, but like, I never really, I never really played it. Um, and, and that's just one example. I mean, I, I, I played like a lot, like a lot of from this era, like. Gex, our boy Gex. Oh, I love Gex. Love Gex. Um, Can't wait for the Gex episode. You know, like, I don't know if you ever played Croc or Croc 2. Oh, yeah. You know, like Gobos. Yeah, like those were fun games. I mean, Spyro, you know, which, you know, directly with this. Yeah, yeah. But like, but there are just other kinds of like 3D, something like 3D platformers. If you're like, hey, you want to try this new 3D platformer? I'm probably not as open to it. Like there was a new game that came out called A Hat in Time, like a a year or so ago that was very inspired by Banjo and Mario specifically the N64 era platformers. And I just wasn't, I didn't feel this like need to play it. I just, I would have rather played replayed Mario 64. um, So why don't we table this conversation? Because I I absolutely want to let's table it for what doesn't or does work. Sure. Sure. I I don't think we can have a conversation about this game uh, without kind of talking about 3d platformers uh, kind of as a genre, because this, I would say this game, I would say Mario 64, especially for this generation. um, The, those two are the emblematic, you know, 3d platformers of this era that this game and Mario 64 are kind of like 
still to this day, top 10 emblematic three platformers of all time. Um, especially, you know, yeah. anyone who knows video games, if you ask them about those two, probably they're going to say they know it at least or have played them both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but why don't we get into the uh, nuts and bolts? Of <laughs> oh, you son of a gun. Uh, okay, we've got a really straightforward uh, plot for you here on the heels of that uh, that epic joke. <laughs> oh my god! Hang on, I just I got to recover for a second from that. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, do you have do you have any more planned? Uh, they'll come when they come. Okay. Don't, don't, don't try, <laughs> yeah, don't don't force, try it. And force it. Yeah, yeah. Um, really simple plot here. Uh, Banjo's sister Tootie is kidnapped by the evil rich, which I, I almost said evil bitch. And I think I just came up with a blend of, <laughs> well, you also <laughs> it sounded like almost said rich. And I mean, she kind of is an evil rich bitch. <laughs> she is she, she like, she owns an entire mountain seemingly. So she must be rich. Yeah. I was like trying to stop myself from saying bitch. And I said, rich, uh, this evil, uh, bitch, witch, Gruntilda, who is rich, uh, who is rich. She has a whole layer. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the economic situation is in this area, <laughs> but like, which we eventually learn is called the Isle of Hags and Banjo Tui, but we won't get into that game. Um, and so Gruntilda uh, kidnapped uh, Tootie to steal her good looks. And Banjo is um, with his friend Kazooie um, off to save Tootie. Um, and so that kind of brings us to our characters. We have Banjo, um, who is a bear. He's pretty kind and considerate overall, um, though uh, I will. He. he, so- he Sorry, what? Let me let me stop you there. Uh, you have some in the outline. You have some character descriptors. Uh, I do. <laughs> for 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 some of the characters, I agree with them. What what about Banjo? Suggests to you that he is kind or considerate. I would say Banjo has no character trait besides brother. You're I, okay. I guess I guess you're. He's just he's a brother. Well, he's, he's he's a brother bear. The way the way I think about it is that. And throughout this game, and I and it's possible that I'm blending some of Tui also because Tui is a much larger game than this. But when you are asked to do something by an NPC, Banjo's like, "Yeah, of course we can help you," and Kazooie is just like, "No fucking way." I think that I think that's probably more Tui or Banjo Banjo Tui. Maybe it was. I, I, yeah. I there's not as much of that in this game, but I think I'm kind of carrying that over. Um, I should say though, like I'm criticizing. I'm not really criticizing. Just kind of making a joke. Like Banjo's oh, yeah, a, Banjo's a nothing. He's a nothing character, really. He's just like a friendly bear, right? Bear. I mean, I'm not but, trying to give the guy more depth. No, but what? I, but I will. What I will say is like this is a very like storybook little kid, like very basic plot. Yeah. But what I think is great about it is that I think it does a good job of like leaning into the, like the colorful silliness of it um, without um, like without going too deeply into like the lore of it. I think this works. This walks that tightrope of that like Mario and early Sonic walk where like, mm-hmm. why is he a plumber? Why is there a princess in a pink dress? Why are the like, you know, why is a blue hedgehog fast? Why is a hedgehog blue? Like all these random, weird, nonsensical things that were going on in like platforming mascots. Um, all of that works here in the same way it does for Sonic and Mario about being just like weird, random character traits and qualities yeah. thrown together. Whereas other 3D platformers or 2D platformer, like other mascots at the time, I feel like either way overdid it or way underdid it. Um, and that's why no one remembers them today. Like who remembers Arrow the Acrobat? No one. Nobody. Um, but I think the reason why Banjo, one of the reasons uh, is still remembered today is like 
it, the story and the characters are like simple and charming enough um, that, you know, you, they pass the this, this smell test about like, okay, I care just enough to be willing to do this yeah. um, without going into like crazy deep angel lore. And um, I think a lot of that comes from like the voices of the characters. You know what I mean? Like Banjo's voice is just like a really like friendly like kind of inviting sounding voice whereas other characters a little bit like more annoying some characters just talking burps you know but like banjo's kind of like uh-huh, uh-huh. you know like it's like you know it's how i want to be friends with this it's, guy yeah, like, it's I, like, it's, I like him as my protagonist yeah they do enough to make everyone endearing no one really overstays their welcome uh and you know it avoids the dreaded sonic curse of like we don't go too deep into lore or at least yeah yet. i don't know what tui or nuts and bolts gets into but don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so then we have Kazooie. She is she lives in Banjo's backpack, kind yeah, of. Well, and that's actually the other th- the who great knows. Thing. Like, well, and that's exactly it. Like, who knows? Like, I don't need to know why this bird. No. Like, it's, it's a sassy lady bird who lives in Banjo the Bear's backpack. Like, awesome. Like, I don't I don't care. I don't need to know. Like, that's great. Like, they just boom. Yeah. Here we are. Let's jump right in. Like, I, I appreciate. Um, like both the level of personality they give everyone and also just the lack of introductions. Like, boom, here we are. Yeah. And, and like, I, like I said, like the, the, it usually plays out where it's like, someone says something, Banjo's like, Oh man, that sounds terrible. Or like, Ooh, yeah, of course we could help you. And Kazooie's just like, you should go pound sand. I guess we'll help you if we have to, yeah. you know, that's, that's really, that's their dynamic. Um, we have Gruntilda Winky Bunyan, also known as Grunty. Uh, I did not know that was her last name. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, she is like this, you know, fat green hag of a witch. Uh, very obviously modeled after the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, there's just no, I mean, there's, especially when then when you see your sister, Gruntilda, well, who is also a good uh, sister. We, we, uh, we should mention um, that her quirk is that she speaks in rhyme. Yes. She does. Um, And that never gets old. I'm actually not being sarcastic. I I love Gretty. (laughs) No, I I loved her little like couplets, especially when she just randomly taunts you like as you're playing, like just out of nowhere. She'll just kind of start saying stuff. Or if you die, I think she sometimes will mock you. Yeah. Um, I, what I did not realize uh, is, do you know about the Japanese uh, localization of her dialogue? No. So apparently in Japanese, you probably know this, uh, I do not, but uh, in Japanese, rhyming happens very frequently um, to yes. the point where like rhymes don't really mean much. And so like prose and songs like in, in Japanese don't really worry about rhyming or care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to translate Grunty's dialogue uh, into Japanese to localize it, um, having her dialogue rhyme really wouldn't matter or make sense. So uh, they gave her like the stereotypical voice patterns of like a very elderly, rude woman, which makes sense. She is very rude. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so yeah, like I mentioned, she has a good sister named Bratilda, uh, who will tell you information about Grunty um, in, in a very obvious way where it's like, I'm going to need to remember this for some reason mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. remember it. You do or not. You don't have to really. <laughs> um, then there's bottles, uh, a mole who is Banjo's friend uh, and teaches Banjo and Kazooie different moves throughout the game. Um, Um, Also, we should clarify it's like the animal, the mole, you know, it's, he's not a mole on someone. Oh yeah. Which, which (laughs) listen, I mean, I know it's weird that we had to clarify that, but in a game like this, like there could be an anthropomorphic mole on someone's like, you never know. Like in a rare game, you never know. He, uh, yeah. Midway through the game, he stabs Kazooie in the back and leaves them both for dead. Um, or yeah, or like a mole in an organization, you know, yes. secretly works for Grunty. Yeah, no, he is just the animal, uh, 
a mole. Um, and then there's Mumbo Jumbo, um, who is a shaman. Uh, who an, this it's, little... he's he's very he's just culturally very unfortunate. Yeah, very unfortunate. And you and and we'll just say that Banjo Tui doubles down on this kind of thing, and oh. it is uncomfortable uh, replaying it now. Um, and that's all we'll have to say about that. Uh, no need to go into that. It hasn't aged well. No. But that's, you know, that's how it is. Um, all right. So really, uh, we'll talk a little bit about kind of like the overarching, like certain features of the game. Talk about like items, collectibles, uh, mechanics, moves, and briefly touch on level design before we get a little bit into more detail about each one of the levels. Um, really, the goal here is to make your way through Grunty's Lair, collecting various things, unlocking new levels, and getting to fight Grunty at the end, very much like Mario going through uh, Peach's castle to fight Bowser. Um, To do this, you have various moves at your disposal. Um, Not going to get into all of them. I mean, there's standard attacks, um, like somersaulting and such, and like swiping. There's the ability to fly. And many of these moves are learned, not not all known right away. But um, you have the ability to fly. There's this thing called the beak bomb, where you just kind of like dive bomb as um, with Kazooie's like nose or whatever. Um, there's swimming mechanics. Um, you can, you do swim in this game and there are some parts of the game that are very much, um, focused on swimming. Uh, you have the ability to shoot eggs out of, uh, Kazooie's mouth forward or poop them behind you, which is a move that is almost never used in the game, but I'm still happy it's in there because it makes a little fart noise. It does. And that never gets old. Um, there is the Wonder Wing, uh, Invincibility. Um, there is a flap jump. There's a lot of different, like, neat platforming moves you kind of have at your disposal to like mix and mix around and see what'll get you from point a to point b um and one of the biggest uses of getting from point or one of the biggest parts about doing this game quickly and then just getting around levels faster in general is the talent trot which is faster than walking a little bit slippery but really useful because it lets you jump further and move faster and i think that if you are you know playing this game casually and you just you know want to make it go a little faster and you're confident in your platforming abilities the talent trot is great. And I spend most of the game in the talent trot, even if I'm not trying to beat it as fast as I can. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things about the moves. So um, I, I think uh, to start on a positive, I think they do a good job of trying to really think about um, different methods of traversing 3d space, right? Yes. Everything about what a 3d platformer is, you know, what, what should people be doing uh in that space or how to make it fun to explore uh i think they do do their best to really think about different ways to engage with the space uh, more so than mario however a couple of them do feel like concessions for uh like loose or sloppy controls okay Um, which ones are you thinking about so specifically the wonder wing Okay. Um, so the Wonder Wing, what I the most use I found for the Wonder Wing playing the game is really annoying enemies that were unable to be like targeted or uh, were like moving at you in, a, in an erratic pattern. Or mm-hmm. I just Wonder Winged up and let them run into me and they died. Yeah. And I did that so often that I, I almost realized like, did they just end to the Wonder Wing didn't really have a lot of functionality with getting jiggies. I mean, besides like killing enemies with them. To where I almost wondered, like, was this a concession they put in the game, like, way later, knowing how difficult, like, targeting in a 3D space would be? Hmm. Um, the other thing, too, is, like, the Talon Trot. Um, 
running around with banjo and again like I, I don't think it's the fall of the development i just think it's like the, the era of the time like yeah you know 3d platformers were new it was still they were still figuring things out uh, banjo feels like he has pads of butter on his feet at all times yeah and um, i and that's i guess it i said earlier they're not like as many pointed criticisms criticisms about this game obviously there are not everyone thinks this game's perfect but like I, that is one of them, the slipperiness of, and that, and that's, and but that is a criticism that's been applied in other platforms too. But I, I have heard that for about this game specifically, there's just a little bit of, yeah, like exactly what you said, pads of butter on his feet. Yeah, Banjo feels very much like he has pads of butter on his feet, and so I did find myself talent trotting a lot. But I was thinking about it, and I'm like, why does the talent trot even exist? Um, they could have just fixed Banjo's walk cycle and they didn't like, mm-hmm. so there, there were just a couple of things that felt to me like it seemed like this is a stop gap, like a way to patch over kind of a weakness of, you know, the genre or, mm. you know, the game specifically. Um, and again, like, you know, minor criticism, but definitely something I noticed. Um, and again, I, I don't know, I, I'm not blaming necessarily rare. Like, I just think that people were still figuring out 3d platformers. They certainly were. Like I, I that that slipperiness, I feel like you kind of there was a little bit of that in a lot of the the games of that era, and I don't know, I wouldn't be able to point to a game that I would say fixed that problem. Well, well you know sh- what, Croc didn't have much slipperiness, so maybe Croc, we should yeah, be doing that game again, instead. Cro- well, Croc also felt like he weighed seventeen tons. True, but um, I guess we should make it clear that um, I at least played on uh, the original Nintendo sixty four because you very generously uh, let me borrow your you know console and. Banjo Kazooie game, um, and I know you've played it on there as well. I would be curious though to know, like, if you play the Xbox Live Arcade yeah. version. Okay, so are the controls tighter, or is it more of a one-to-one in terms of controls? I know the graphics, obviously, you know, have kind they're of polished. Up. I don't love playing with the Xbox controller. I will. I, I must admit, I have not played it recently enough where I remember how good the controls are. I think I could be wrong, but I think all of that was preserved that like slipperiness um okay although i will say one thing that you know is neat when you're not trying to speed run the game is uh if you die in the xbox version you keep all the notes yeah yeah we'll we'll talk about that (laughs) we'll we'll talk about that later okay it's a problem that i have not had to worry about for a long time i figured that it would get brought up uh I wasn't going to bring it up myself, um, but yeah, it's important to talk about that. Um, yeah, so items and collectibles. So you have jiggies, which are primarily used to open new worlds. Um, there's 10 in each level, plus kind of like a bonus one. There's Each level has like a witch switch that if you hit it, it makes a jiggy appear in Grunty's lair, and you can then collect. Okay, can we also uh, clarify, Rare is a British company, as you said. Yes. Uh, so they have a lot of like cutesy British type uh, sing-songy, rhymey words. Jiggy uh, is the name of the uh, jigsaw puzzle, golden pieces. I never once call them jiggies. I call them puzzle pieces. Also, why do you oh. have why do you have jiggies and jinjos in the same game? <laughs> I don't know. I, I call them jiggies. I never call I, them puzzle I, pieces. I only ever call them puzzle pieces. In fact, I probably will call like actual puzzle pieces jiggies. I'm more likely to do that than, than call these jiggies puzzle pieces. I, got, I just got very confused by jiggies and jinjos. And it's just like, oh, guys, what are you doing? But um, I, well, I mean, this is this game will look very uh, uncomplex compared to uh, Banjo-Tooie, which oh, maybe you'll play. Maybe you won't. Okay. Um, so um, 
anyway, so there are notes. Uh, there are a hundred notes in each level. Music and notes, we should music say. notes. Yes, music notes. Uh, and you collect these notes. And if you die in a level, you lose all the notes you collected. You, you there's a high note score. Like here's your high score, but who cares? Um, well, also, really critically, we should camp on this because. Um, your level progression is tied to both jiggies and notes. Yes. Both weirdly together and weirdly separately. Yes. Um, and that creates a lot of tension and frustration because you may have gotten all the jiggies in a world, but not all the notes. Right. Vice versa. You may get to a puzzle and be like, okay, I can unlock the new, a new world, but I can't get there because I don't have enough notes to unlock exactly. the door that lets me there. Or vice versa. Uh, and I'm really, I haven't really had to go deep in my memory right now because it obviously having played it so many times and knowing the game so well, it's been a long, long time since I had those experiences. And I know I had them. I know I was frustrated because I couldn't open a note door because I couldn't find notes in a level or I kept dying or something like that. So I'm kind of like living vicariously through you in part. And that's, that's part of what's adding to the excitement of this. Yeah, I mean, I just, we should kind of just clarify too, just, I know we're talking about items and collectibles, but it kind of goes into like the flow of the game mm -hmm. uh, as well, like the interaction between these two, because um, you'll get jiggies, the, I, I'm just going to say puzzle pieces, you'll get puzzle pieces, sure. and then very similar to Mario 64, you will find a painting, um, I guess, uh, yeah. of the level with missing puzzle pieces that you will then fill in with uh, the, the pieces you have. Similar to, you know, needing a certain number of stars uh, to get to certain levels in Mario 64. The difference, though, uh, that I find really interesting is that in Mario 64, once you're at the painting and you've gained access to the room, you can go immediately into the level. Yeah. Whereas in this game, you unlock it, there's a painting, but then you have to separately find the level. And those are almost always hidden behind note doors. Yeah. Um, and so it's this really weirdly like protracted kind of uh, mm, like staggered level progression that sometimes you don't even notice. Uh, but when it works against you, it's extremely noticeable and it works very hard against you. So it's, it's interesting that you bring up that distinction because like, while obviously it's wonderful to walk into a room with Mario like in Mario 64 and be like, Oh, I've got this new air. Like, you know, I've unlocked the basement. I can access all of these levels and go to them in whatever order I order I want. That's really exciting. I won't knock that at all. I like this staggered nature of Banjo Kazooie. And again, I'm trying not to just talk about like, as someone who knows where every thing in the whole game is and don't have to worry about that. But it's just, I loved when I was originally playing this game to find like you didn't really know where you're going. You, you find a new level. Like it's like the promise of a level coming up. It's like, I have to work towards that. I just unlocked this new level and I saw like a door open. I'm somewhere like, I've never been to that area. I don't know where that is. It was so exciting to try to find it. And if it was behind a note door, I don't know for me that I felt like really excited and inspired to like go get the notes and see what's on the other end of that door. Like, Oh, is there a level? How many levels are there? Like, what am I missing? Like, you know, could there be more? I, I, I found that to be to work in the game's favor. I think I, this is very interesting because I think you were describing probably the exact uh, dichotomy of opinion that's going to happen. I think what you were describing is a, is almost exactly what a little kid playing the game would feel. 
um, for, you know, playing it for the first time. And I think what I am describing is exactly what an adult feels playing the game the first time. I think you're right. Again, I'm, I'm, I was fully tapping into how I felt when I played the game. Oh yeah. yeah. Now, and, obviously, and I mean, I think it would be impossible and unfair of like anyone to ask you to like separate your nostalgia from, you know, the, I mean, you can, but to like, you, you never will completely. Like there's always yeah. going to be nostalgia uh, for this it would, game. It would be unfair to ask me for to you. go back in time and find my, you know, self and hopefully not cause any problems and ask myself what I thought about it. And he'd be like, why are you here? Like you couldn't be doing anything with this time travel gimmick, but you came to ask me my opinion about. Or to just, just snatch the cartridge away from your hands yeah. before you ever played it or and that shatter it in front of you. I'd be like, Aaron made me do it. He'd be like, <laughs> no, Aaron? no, 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 I, I would still want you to play it. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so those are notes. Um, other collectibles really quick. You know, there are Jinjos. There are five in each level. If you find all the Jinjos, they give you a Jiggy. Uh, we um, should say, sorry, the Jinjos, uh, I'm only mentioning it because uh, it kind of comes back in the yeah. end in a weird way. Uh, they're like these little sentient humanoid, like, uh, I don't know, aardvark elf little creatures, I guess. Who knows? Who knows? I still don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there are Mumbo tokens, which you collect and use to pay Mumbo to transform you into different things. Uh, Mumbo is not in every level, but he's in some and his price keeps going up for um, what you need to pay him to turn into something. Um, honeycomb pieces, um, they're like hollow honeycomb pieces. Regular honeycomb pieces are like life, um, you really have fill your life bar. Um, and there's six uh, honeycomb pieces that together will give you a permanent health increase. And there are two per level, um, and five and six, uh, in Spiral Mountain. Yes, so you can have a maximum of, I believe, what eight, uh, eight health pieces, or you can take eight hits. Yeah, yeah, um. And then there are eggs, red feathers, and gold feathers to replenish each one of those moves that you need them for. Um, yeah, that's that. Um, I wanted to talk about level design. Uh, I don't know if this is a conversation that's going to spiral, not necessarily in a bad way. Um, I, I really wanted to bring it up because I think that, and I'm not talking about Grunty's lair. So we're, we're, this is a separate conversation than the one we were just having. And, the level, the individual level design in this game, I think are, the level design is fantastic to say the least. I, for the most part, um, there are levels that give, have a little bit of a sprawling feel. The game gradually kind of like expands the levels a little bit in size, either vertically or, or not um, without, I think getting too overwhelming it doesn't drop you in like a massive world all of a sudden, like Mumbo's mountain is very straightforward and it's very simple. And it's one of my favorite first levels of any video game. And I think that first levels usually aren't that great. Um, I think bomb on battlefield is another great example of a good first level. Um, so I, I, like not, not all the levels are sprawling. Um, I think they're, they're very, they're made of these very like video game esque like landmarks, Right. Like you enter a level, it's like, okay, now here's the air. There's a sandcastle right here. There's a pirate ship right here. There's a rock structure in the middle. You know, those are my landmarks. There's going to be at least one jiggy in each one of them. It, it gives you these like landmarks to kind of focus on and beeline towards, and you almost know there's going to be something there. There's not a lot of unused space, I would say. There's usually something hidden everywhere. Um, and Banjo Tooie again, not going to get super into this really, really goes all out and makes massive, massive worlds. Uh, some success in doing that and some failure. Um, 
so, so some of the levels are kind of just like landmarks kind of plopped everywhere. And then there are other kinds of levels, like maybe like half the levels usually have like one thing at the center, like the tree, uh, like a cargo ship, a, a giant snowman, a mansion that like a lot of your jiggy collecting or no collecting is centered around, like really involves being around that one thing. And then there are like little landmarks like peppered around. Um, I guess you could really say that all of, almost all the levels have that kind of like one thing in the center and every, all like these landmarks throughout. Um, and Mario 64 also did this and I think did it really well. Uh, and I think that Banjo-Kazooie was inspired by that. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah. And I, I mean, it comes to, uh, to as well, the idea of, and I, again, I've been thinking about this a lot. What should a 3D platformer do or look like, right? Yeah. Um, if you're thinking about the shift from 2D platforming to 3D platforming, right? In a 2D level, you have a theme, you have a concept, um, and then you want to, you know, deliver on it. Um, and obviously, same thing with 3D. The difference is on 2D, your only options really are to go from left to right. Um, whereas 3D, you know, you're unlimited. You can go kind of anywhere. Um, so in these 3D big open spaces, um, typically the way uh, to give the, the player a goal instead, because, you know, instead of yeah. just going left to right, you know, uh, to give the player a specific goal, typically there was a big focal point for each level. Yeah. Um, which again, like you said, Mario 64 started it. Um, this continues it. I honestly just don't really know how else you would do um, like a 3D platformer in terms of like, giving the player immediately from the first moment in a level, um, like a goal of what to do um, mm -hmm. other than, you know, kind of a big set piece, like object in the level. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that Mario 64 would have some levels where it was like, like, uh, like lethal lava land, right? Like that it has a volcano, but it's really tiny. Yes. You can go in it. Yes. There's like some stuff to do in there, but like lethal lava land is very much just like, here's this, like a bunch of platforms on the lava, there are like little la like noticeable landmarks. It's kind of just this like a lot of stuff is really arbitrary, and I and I don't mind that at all. Um, yeah, I would agree. I would say that that level is probably like the exception though to the rule, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought about it first. Hazy Maze Cave <laughs> is another <laughs> oh, one. Yeah, true. Um, um, there, there are more. Uh, like, I mean, Wet Dry World is. I mean, has like its gimmick. Like, there's no real like center thing. There's just one room you're in to start, and then there's another area. Yeah. Um, I would say the the key difference, though, between Mario 64 levels uh, and uh, Banjo-Kazooie levels, and this is something I, I discovered playing the game for the first time. I, I never realized this. I was surprised at how ahead of its time Banjo-Kazooie is. Mario how 64. So? Well, Mario 64, each star is treated as its own entry into the stage. Yes. Yeah. Whereas Banjo and each star slightly uh, recontextualizes the stage uh, to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, or it can. Not always. Um, whereas in Banjo-Kazooie, you can enter a level, basically get all 10 jiggies if you would like, and all 100 notes, yep. um, and leave. And you can do that all within kind of one play through the level, yeah. um, which makes speed running make way more sense. Um, I, I definitely understand why you, you and your friends speed run it now. Um, also too, it, it definitely reminded me something more similar to Mario Sunshine, 
um, a game we've covered for the show or thinking even further into the future, just in terms of like connections, Mario Odyssey, right? Yeah. We kind of, we kind of talked in that Mario Sunshine episode about how Mario Odyssey is kind of the natural evolution of Sunshine um, in, in terms of these kind of open sandbox levels. And I would put Banjo-Kazooie kind of in that lineage. Yeah. Um, it has, I think, more in common with Mario Sunshine than Mario 64 for that reason. Mm. We really do need to do Banjo-Tooie. I, I have a really complicated relationship with it. There was a point where I liked Banjo-Tooie more. Like as a kid, I think I liked Banjo-Tooie more than Banjo-Kazooie. And now when I went back and played it again in the last like year, it, it does a lot that I think is really, really ambitious and it doesn't always work out. And I, I just keep bringing that back up because the levels are really sandboxy. But there's a lot of distance between major points of interest which makes the game a little bit of an annoyance to get through sometimes it's too big and, and you're talking you're talking about Tui, not yeah I, i'm talking about Tui, right because um, i feel like this game i th- i think this is that idea done right like these sandboxes yes. feel manageable in their size absolutely um and it like you said earlier like it feels like there's a secret almost everywhere um especially with the early levels i would say the early levels it feels like you're kind of almost constantly stumbling over things to do in them yes yeah and and there's there's really minimal backtracking like as you were mentioning you can really kind of get everything and leave Uh, later on in the game there's a couple things that i mean if you're not if you're kind of trying to fly through as fast as you can if you get a new level and you want to do it as quickly as possible you might get to something that you can't overcome that you need to move for, but generally there's very, there's very minimal backpack, uh, backtracking, backpacking, ha. Huh. Ah, um, something, something that rare just went bananas with in Banjo-Tooie and DK64. There's a lot of like interconnectivity in the worlds of Banjo-Tooie, for instance, that I think works really well, but there, it also slows the game down. Um, not so in this game, it's very, it's a lot more straightforward. And like you said, like there's a lot of, um, and what we kind of we both said there's there's a lot, not as much like unused or empty space in this game there was in Mario 64. I do forgive that because I think that Mario 64 they were kind of like it's the first real attempt at doing this, um, in a in a big sprawling way and obviously very clearly Banjo Kazooie learned from that. Um, so yeah, so you know each one of these levels like we said has ten jiggies and there's really kind of like. The jiggy tasks fall generally fall into like one or, or like one of like, I don't know, five or four or five categories. I wrote just down a couple of them. Um, pretty simple. Like sometimes you just got to collect something and bring it to somebody. Sometimes there's those, you know, precision platforming, swimming or flying tasks. Um, sometimes there's just time tasks uh, get from one place to another out. That does often involve precision platforming, but it's really like, you know, um, I guess that kind of blends in like with some mini games, there's like a race, there's like racing in it. There's, you know, how fast can you, or can you kill all these enemies before they kill you? Um, matching games, like memory games, things like that. Nothing overly complicated. I would say um, there's a couple old talk. We're not going to talk about every single jig in this game, of course, but there are some that I'm going to bring up because they are noticeably more difficult than others, even to this day. Well, also, too, so the thing is, um, I think in some ways this game uh, stands head and shoulders above Mario 64. Um, I think uh, the connection to Sunshine I made earlier uh, in that you you can just come in and get all 10 jiggies yeah. the first playthrough and leave. And I think that's to the game's strength. I think, though, something that holds that idea back is Mario 64 only let you get one star at a time um, so that, one, you couldn't miss one. 
Um, but then two, each star, the name was a hint as yes. to what you might have to do to get that star. And usually the hint was good. Usually the hint was Sometimes good. Sometimes it was terrible. However, in this game, because you can kind of get all the jiggies, you know, in any order that you want, you know, all in one run through, there's no like checklist for you as the player to know what, you know, which ones you have and have not gotten yet. There's yeah. also no like list or, you know, list of hints as to like how you may get some of them. Um, that, that connects to like two kind of little minor problems with getting the jiggies since we're uh, talking about that at the moment. Um, number one is you sometimes just really don't know what will and won't get you one. So there's one level I'm thinking of, maybe it's the bog one where you just get a jiggy for just randomly beating like four enemies on an island or yeah something. the frogs. and it's like why would you why would you know that or assume to do that you know like i would uh, normally i would have just kept running and ignored them or killed one or two and then assumed that they spawned endlessly and then you know kind of forgot about it well th- there is like a there is a prompt if i'm thinking of the right like they, they'll like taunt you or like a music will play and then they'll all come charging at you and i usually pop on the wonder wing just let them all run into me kill them and then a jiggy will appear on that platform so there's there's a visual cue or, or an audio cue i think i mean if if you notice it i did not the first time through and there were a couple jiggies where i just like didn't notice that oh like i guess there's like enemies over here and if i kill them i get one um i wound up having to look at a guide for a lot of levels to make sure that mm-hmm. i was getting all the jiggies um which i mean in today's day and age is fine uh but back then like it just it seems like a it seems like a blind spot and I, I tr- I'm trying not to be hard on this game um, for problems of the era and problems of the genre. Um, but this is something that I think is a developer issue. I mm-hmm. think if they had put in like on the pause menu, um, kind of like a list for each level and kind of like a list of, uh, you know, the different ways to get each jiggy or at least a little title. I think. Yeah. The, the only thing they give you is just like a count. How many of 10? Yeah. Have, they, well, know? which, which is helpful. They do. It give is. You- counts of all your various different things but i think that would have definitely helped the other thing too uh and again this falls into the category of getting the jiggies is it's really unclear what things in the environment are interactable and are not and especially what is and is not breakable and what breaks it Hmm. um and that was endlessly frustrating for me um and i basically i basically wound up having to look at a guide uh, because it's like, oh, well, this door can be broken if I punch it or uh, Kazooie beak steps. There are, there are some there are like, other re- doors like, that you I punch have to it, it won't work. Other new doors have to be open with the with the eggs. With the egg, it's, yeah. it's, uh, certain windows can only be broken by certain things to get jiggies. It yeah. was th- that drove me insane because it, there was no yeah. queuing. There was no queuing for any of that. Um, and then I also definitely is something a developer, uh, developer could have fixed, but yeah, but those are, those are things connected, connected to getting jiggies that I kind of was. I'm really glad you brought that up though, because that, that is a really good example of my like disconnect from that experience now that I know where everything is, but like, I, I do think about it when I, when I replay it is that, oh my gosh, like you can beak bomb that tiny, tiny window on click lock woods tree and in it is a honeycomb piece like yeah I would, how, like, would, you, how, how would, would you yeah who who it looks like it's just part of the level like who's exactly. saying i mean you know it, the, some of the windows that are breakable and like rusty bucket bay look a little bit different than the ones that aren't and obviously they're hoping that you pick up on that or maybe i like i remember as a kid i was just act, like using moves and i broke a window on the rusty bucket bay ship and i was like what you can go inside the ship like 
you know, I mean, the game is kind of hoping that you're going to figure some stuff out and it's maybe a little unfair in that way, kind of in line with what you're saying. Um, in terms of like just navigation around the levels though, I do feel like while I, I would imagine it's, you know, never like having never played the game before, like trying to get all the jiggies can be difficult, but I do think that the game is has you rely a little bit like on your, on your memory. It's like, Oh, this is an area of the level I've haven't been to. Sometimes it's like, Oh, I've only got eight jiggies, but I haven't been to that corner of the map yet. There might be something there, or at least something I need to use to get that jiggy. And it's not always like that. You're right. Like sometimes you have to do something a little bit unintuitive. So I, I did uh, as, as part of research for the game, I did uh, watch some let's plays uh, of certain levels. Um, And I did watch speed run let's plays of certain levels. Um, and just watching other people play people who played the game before and played it many, many times. Like I fully, I fully agree with you. Like if I had gotten this game when, when it came out, I would have all these levels memorized. Like I can play Mario 64 every level. And if someone who'd never played the game before was watching me, they would have absolutely no idea how I know how to get all the things as quickly as I do. And so I think that's probably what's happening. You know, I'm a novice still, um, but, you know, I can definitely see if I got this game as a kid, like I would have a level of fluency with it that, I, you know, obviously I don't now because I only played it, you know, one, yeah. one time. Yeah. All right. I think we can talk about some of the game areas now. Um, really quick. There are some levels that I made a note of specifically that were cut or unused from this game. And I really only bring these up in particular because they ended up in some form or another in other rare games. Um, one was called Fungus Forest, which ended up as Fungi Forest in Donkey Kong 64. Another was called Mount Fire Eyes, which ended up as the fireside of a fire and ice kind of theme level, Hailfire Peaks in Banjo-Tooie. Um, one of my favorite levels of that game. Um, there were more, I didn't really do much research into them and I don't actually know a whole lot about them either, but that's okay. Well, um, the areas that are in the game. Yeah. So, uh, where do we start out? Uh, well, we start out, uh, well, we start the game actually, um, in kind of Banjo's house after his yeah. sister has been kidnapped. Uh, because did we, did we say that Grunty wants her? Cause she's beautiful. Yes. Grunty, yeah, yeah. Classic witch. Classic thing. Grunty. So, uh, Banjo leaves his house with friend Kazooie. Uh, you run into bottles right outside. Um, and kind of from here, it's your tutorial area. Bottle, uh, bottles has some moves to teach you. Um, and you can kind of tool around and you can swim right off the bat. There's like a water area. Um, you can get your first uh, honeycombs. Um, you can engage with some enemies, which are some big bouncing like anthropomorphic, <laughs> like anthropomorphic carrots and vegetables. cabbages. Like, uh, say what you will about rare. This game like oozes rare personality. Oh, yeah. Which um, which, you know, say what you will about it. Like sometimes it works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. I definitely do think, um, they clearly have their own style, their own voice. Um, it's not always an A plus for me, but, um, like some of their designs are super cute. I think that's what made Conker's bad fur day. So good. It's like they, they, they had done their shtick a little bit. And if they were to make another cutesy kid game, it would be, people might like groan, but taking that kind of design and applying it to an adult themed game was a pretty brilliant move. Yeah, so you got you have some of those um, little cute little vegetables going around there, um, but yeah, so that is uh, Spiral Mountain, um, yep. and it, we move quickly to well, actually, I guess all of it Spiral Mountain, kind of in a way, right? 
the whole thing um, is like Spiral Mountain. I mean, yeah, I, technically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Spiral Mountain is just like the the, the starting area, the tiny spiral in the middle with a bridge that leads to Grunty's lair, and then the rest of the game is in Grunty's lair. I mean, it's really the oh, only the, gotcha. the only area. I, I, thought, I thought Grunty's lair, like all collectively, was Spiral Mountain. No, no. So like, and, and then again, Banjo Tooie, like really expand. Like basically, Banjo Tooie takes place on the island where Spiral Mountain and Grunty's lair are. And so the rest of the game is like you exploring the entire rest of the island, starting in Spiral Mountain again. Um, gotcha. yeah. um, can we clarify not the Spiral Mountain from Digimon Series 1? We don't need to clarify that. I love that Spiral Mountain. <laughs> I, I, know, I know you too. I'm yeah. just wondering how many people listening are just like, I was really confused. I thought they were talking about Digimon in this Banjo well, episode, but now... Now I, now I know. Um, but if that's true, then the actual spiral mountain is literally that tiny little hill with a spiral path around it. That's not much of a mountain. Eh. I thought all of Grunty's, I thought the whole thing was spiral. Any, nah. okay. a- anyway, anyway, nah, anyway. Blame Rare for that. So, yeah. So we go, uh, we cross a bridge into uh, a giant, like, uh, stone sculpture of Grunty's face to get into yeah. her lair. There are multiple, like, Grunty-shaped statues and... She loves herself. There's yeah, she loves herself. Representations of it. It also doesn't, hence, you know, the dilemma. Oh, true. You know. Yeah. Oh, poor Grunty. Um, yeah, but we should talk about this game area. So uh, yeah. Grunty's Lair. Grunty's Lair is like the hub uh, world, uh, would you say, for this game? Oh, yeah. I love it. I do not. Um, I do not. <laughs> I, I love a lot of these. I love a lot of the bespoke actual levels. I like the levels. I really hate this hub world interesting really hate it. tell I me hate more it. um or should we wait and talk about that let's no, talk about the, I, well, the uh, i think i think well if we're talking about the areas we should we i should guess talk so. about each one so sure. let's talk about grunty's lair so i actually didn't even i wasn't even prepared to talk about grunty's lair other than to say that i love it i oh we there's so much to talk about grunty's lair so okay. uh grunty's lair um it is a kind of long meandering path uh, through all of the levels. Amanda, as you said, there are these different um, gates, uh, both note doors, as well as, uh, you know, levels that you find that you need jiggies or puzzle pieces for, um, or certain abilities um, that Banjo and Kazooie have to learn to be able to access the next part of the hub world. Um, the issue that I had with Grunty's Lair is that um, the color palette um, and a lot of the design choices a lot of the areas look extremely similar. They have a very muted brown tone okay. um, and a lot of like big rounded tunnels with kind of water in that were essentially to make a long story short, I got lost constantly. That's constantly. Fair. That's yeah. fair. I, I definitely, definitely had that problem when I played um, this game. I got lost constantly. Add to that. I would get lost. I would know I had enough notes for a certain note door, have no idea where it was. Um, kind of wander around, die, um, because randomly they, they include a lot of enemies in this hub world, die, have to start from the beginning um, to try and find where I was. Um, and it's uh, it was overly complicated and long, whereas, again, I'm sorry to make the comparison, but the castle in Mario 64 is so clear and straightforward yeah, and stratified. It has that basement, it has that ground floor, it has the upstairs. Um, whereas this felt very samey, the color palette again, made it difficult to tell where I was going or where I'd been. Um, not a big fan of this hub area. I, I like this area more than the, the castle and Mario. I mean, the castle and Mario is definitely simpler. I feel like there's a little bit more like personality in this, or at least it's, it's more samey with Mario, but it, like the, Mario is like not, it's not meant to be, the castle isn't meant to be like 
you know, an outstanding, um, like achievement and platforming challenge hub world, you know, not that like Grunty's lair is trying to be like a crazy, like platforming challenge, but the one thing I was going to give you that, and the points you're making are super fair. I, I was going to say like, I will admit when I say there's a lot of, there's not a lot of unused space in the game. I'm referring to the bespoke levels. This Grunty's lair is maybe a little bit bigger than it should be. I agree. I, and I, I have no problem with a hub world that, you know, gates access based on collecting certain things and um, learning certain abilities. Like, I think that's fine. Um, I think there is just a way to do that. Um, like you're saying in like a tighter, more controlled way. Mm-hmm. Um, if this game bloats, I think probably Grunty's Lair is where you see some of that bloat. It's interesting though, in, in, in this, in speed running is what I don't ever think about is how much time I'm spending in Grunty's Lair. Cause I'm keeping track of my times in each level. Grunty's Lair, oftentimes you're in it for like 40 minutes or more. I mean, yeah. for, for a speed run, yeah. just for my speed run. I'm, again, I'm talking about like me and my friends doing our amateurish speed run, not like actual speed runners who probably spend way less time. But Grunty's Lair is big. Yeah. Uh, there's, no, there's no, no way to avoid it. Though there are ways to get around quickly. I don't use it. I haven't used them for a long time, but there's these, you know, matching colored um, cauldrons that you can use to warp around Grunty's Lair. Yes, it actually is pretty confusing. Sometimes they even well, yeah, they, they look exactly. the same too. Yeah, I, I and that's the problem I ran into. Like the mental map in my head made more sense when I just ran there from the beginning of the Grunty's Lair than trying to bounce around through the different cauldrons. Yeah. Um. So um, yeah, and it's it's also the kind of thing where I bet if I had like the Nintendo Power when it came out that I'm sure featured the entire map. Um, you know, and I was eight years old playing, like, I'm sure I'd have it memorized and wouldn't be an issue today. Um, but doing it for the first time, I was just like, whoa, um, there could be a little bit better signaling and maybe like a a better change of color palette between areas. And then, um, I'll note really quick, and I'm not going to get into this in a lot of detail, but like other than kind of Trevor, like getting from level to level, um, just being the hub world, um, hidden in Grunty's lair are Cheeto pages, which are, pages of a cheat book uh, or a book uh, like a floating kind of like book that if you find the the pages and give them to Cheeto, you will learn cheats that you can enter in the sandcastle in Trigger Trove Cove. They, the cheats will give you more eggs, more red feathers and more gold feathers. Um, Well, and we should add there. I don't do those either. Usually we should add there are many, many other cheats that the game does not tell you uh, that do exist and do work and you can look them up. Yes. Um, And yeah, there's also the 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 way to enter those cheats and such. That's all kind of tied to this stop and swap feature that uh, well, we can talk a little bit about. Um, yeah, but why don't you why don't we jump into like the very first level? Yeah, so the first level is Mumbo's Mountain. Um, I don't know. It's just a grassy hill, mountain. What do you want? To, I don't know. There's like a termite tower at the center. Um, there's like a little ruins, sec- like an ancient ruins section. There's a se- like an area where there's a little like, lake. There's an area where there's a, um, uh, gorilla named Conga who throws tangerines at you or something like that. Yeah. And I think tellingly, um, it both kind of aesthetically looks similar, uh, to the tutorial area on Spiral Mountain and yeah. also features similar, um, things you can do. Like there's a water area you can swim. You will need to swim, um, to get everything in this level, Um, I think they intentionally designed it similar to the tutorial area, um, so that you, you know, you have a space where 
that feels familiar for the, yeah. the things you just learned how to do. Yeah. Pretty straightforward first level. I think it's a great uh, intro to, I mean, we get some of your, your, you get certain moves here that you're going to use throughout the rest of the game. Um, you know, you get your first mumbo transformation. He turns into a termite. You don't really use the transformation for a whole lot. I mean, most of the time when you trans transform into something with mumbo, you only really need it to do a couple things. Um, but I think it's, it's enough time. Like I usually, I'm not like upset by the mumbo transformations. I, I think it's, it's a fun feature and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. And I, I think now that I'm thinking about this level more and we're talking about it i agree with you that this is a great first level because it definitely gives you um in a tight controlled space a sample of all of those uh kind of different ways you're going to get jiggies throughout the game later yeah um, that you that you kind of mentioned um you're going to get all your jinjos here some of the jinjos are just very in your face just kind of standing there waving at yeah. you yeah um like <laughs> like this is also kind of a tutorial in that it is, it is gently showing you these different ways that you will be getting the the jiggies, the puzzle pieces. Um, I, I think this is an extremely effective first level. Yeah. Um, then we have our second level, which is another level I very much enjoy for the most part. Uh, that's Treasure Trove Cove. Um, the thing I don't like about Treasure Trove Cove, I think, is anytime you have to be in the water, you have to worry yeah. about the shark. Uh, and that yeah. shark will catch up to you very often. Um, so anytime you can avoid swimming, do it in this game, but you can't. So, avoid it. um, yeah, so there's a, there's a, probably the biggest bugbear I have with this game. One of them, um, is basically anything to do with water. Mm-hmm. Um, anything to do with totally water. Fair. I'm, I'm probably going to have an issue. Um, the shark. Absolutely. I, I feel like, and this is probably going to be a recurring theme as we talk about, um, some of the, the different challenges and the levels. I feel like. And maybe I'm maybe I'm a big old baby and you can take my gamer card away from me. But I feel like the just the challenge on certain things was just dialed like slightly too high. Um, and I almost wonder if it wasn't to make the game challenging. I almost wonder if it was to pad the game's length. Um, can you give me an it, example? So perfect example, the shark in the water, right? Treasure. Oh, Trope. I thought you were talking about entire like jiggy challenges no i mean specific like level wide um i guess like pressures on the player Mm -hmm. so for example um falling into the water at all in this level um will result in damage and probably death depending on where you fall in the water because a shark will show up and attack you immediately almost immediately and i was thinking about this as i was playing and i'm like guys this is the second level um, and I know for a fact there are water levels after this. Like, why are we already on level two? You're making it, you're making the punishment for falling into the water on the very first water level damage and death. Like that seems pretty excessive. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it and I was wondering if it was less about uh, making the game challenging and more about padding the length specifically because again, this game was released in 1998. We've talked about it before. Um, blockbuster video, Hollywood video, the rental market was enormous at this oh, time, yeah. right? Um, and one of the things that video game developers would frequently do is purposely increase the difficulty of those of their games so that you would be required to rent it multiple times. Also to encourage people to buy the game after renting it because they were not able to beat it. Um, and so there were a lot of little things in the levels that like in 2021 game development eyes or like uh, you know, video game player eyes 
that's what I was seeing. I was like, yeah. this is really unnecessary friction. And it feels like they just added it to make the game harder or longer um, mm. rather than make it like a worthwhile challenge. Like there's nothing worthwhile about, you know, like it's not to give you an example, there is a spot in this level where you are climbing a circular like green tower that is kind of isolated in the water. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And if you fall off that tower, right, in a 3D platformer, the punishment for falling should be that I have to climb the thing again. Right. right? You have to the, find the shore, find a place yeah. you can jump back to shore. The, which if you, should, if you go the wrong direction, then you're probably going to get eaten by the shark. Yeah. And in this game, the punishment is not only do I have to go back and do all that again, I'm going to get damaged by the shark, probably die, therefore lose all my notes, and then start the whole level over again. I haven't thought about that for a while, but I'm really glad you bring that up because it really is dialed up hard. And I, and I, when I did play this game, this, this level was hard. Like, I mean, this and the next level were hard. I think, I think I've, the, the, the three levels that follow this are actually maybe a little bit easier for like me as a first time player. Um, or this was just a little bit like difficult to get, like to really wrap my head around the fact that like, okay, my, I need to be so perfect that I can't fall in the water because at the time, I don't know. I mean, I didn't, I didn't master all the moves. I didn't always know the fastest way to get from point A to point B. I mean, I, I know I died by the shark a lot. And maybe it's telling that I still hate falling in the water as good at the game I am now. Because the shark just sucks. Like, always sucks. Well, also, too, like, and again, this is a criticism that I'm not making it rare. or like, This is just, it, they were still figuring out 3D plat platformers. The camera is not your friend. Um, and especially when you have to make some tricky jumps over water, um, it, it, it never, you never feel confident or at least I didn't. And that was the other thing too. I kind of mentioned before, Banjo feels like he's constantly has butter under his feet. I also never felt confident that Banjo would land where I needed him to. Mm. Um, they give a shat. There's a shadow under Banjo. Really that faint. I, really faint that I, they want you to use to gauge where Banjo is going to land. I would say Banjo landed exactly where I thought he was going to land only about 50% of the time. Yeah. I mean, th this game's um, platforming is really, you have to be really precise. And again, I'm not, it's not a criticism of rare. It's just, I think they just hadn't figured these things out at the time. Yeah. I mean, you and um, I listen to like podcasts with people who host with, who have a really a huge thing against 3d platformers of this area. When this is one of the reasons why that what you're talking about right now and swimming. Yeah. It. And it's it, fair. It's a fair criticism. It is fair. And, it, but, but I think the criticism here that's specific to rare that I think they could have tweaked is that shark like guys let's, or maybe put the shark in the level, but does he have to show up right next to you? Like he literally fades in and out like right by you when you fall in the water. Yeah. Um, we're, we're kind of dousing this level with a lot of criticism. There is a lot to love here. Like this is a fun beach pirate, like level. You learn how to fly here, which is really fun. Yeah. Um, nice and open. Like it really compared to Mumbles Mountain. It's really like, Oh wow. This level yeah, big and open. Also, you kind of think the set piece is going to be that, um, kind of marooned pirate ship in the middle, but it, that kind of is, but, um, there's also like a sand castle. Um, and there's also like this big giant lighthouse kind of, um, yeah. central to the level kind of rising about in the middle um there's a lot to do here it's fun like when you're flying around you're flying up to the lighthouse 
Um, you can access like secret little like caves um, off of the water. Like there, there, there is fun stuff to do here. Yeah. It's just the the punishment for falling in the water feels a little overly severe. It's it's a big level. It's not too big. And it, what I think it does really well is it not only I mean giving you the flying ability right away is a really cool idea. And it you can fly around this level and see and just kind of see what maybe you might have missed. Like, I remember when first playing this game, I think I just flew around looking for other things to do. I could have just gotten around walking, but like it, 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 the level's open. There's so much freedom you can have, and it really encourages you to utilize this new move and explore and see what you, you know, what else you can get. Um, really, my, my biggest criticism, and it's, it's actually kind of minor, I mean, I guess other than the shark, is that draw distance in this game usually is never a problem except there is one honeycomb that's a honeycomb piece that's floating above a crate in the middle of the water and you cannot see it unless you get close enough to it and it will just suddenly appear uh and i remember it took me forever when i first played this game to find that thing um still remember I, and i to this day i our my friends and i we joke like what honeycomb pieces do we sometimes would we sometimes forget now we don't really forget any of them, but if we like haven't spent, you know, back when we hadn't spent like years with the game, we came back to it. The two honeycomb pieces in this game are some that we would forget. Uh, <laughs> sorry. In this level. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, speaking of swimming um, next level, which is a level that I hated when I was younger and I don't hate it anymore, except for the first major jiggy of it. This is Clanker's cavern. And this is a, almost entirely swimming focused level. Yeah, I uh, I hated this level. Um, I figured you would. I hated this level. I came to hate it less based on a later level. Uh, <laughs> only be, only because Bucket I Bay? Oh, I don't know, we'll see. We'll only because it. I hated that level more. Um, I, this is a, a radical opinion, um, but whoever designed the swimming and again, I know it's not Rare's fault. It was it's just the style at the time they were still figuring this stuff out whoever uh designed swimming for 3d platformers in this era should be put to death um in front of their family um <laughs> and wow. and the earth salted so that nothing can grow where their body is buried let let me say something very recently i heard, there's i learned about something that makes swimming easier in this game it does not make it great it just makes it easier if you hold, I think it's L, the L shoulder buttons or LR shoulder buttons, you turn really fast. Mm, that is, and it well, is that extremely is good useful, especially when like swimming through the key. Um, yeah. You know, that Jiggy is a royal pain in the ass. Uh, it, it really always, uh, no matter how confident I'm feeling, sometimes I'm, the part of me is like, I might, I might die. I might, I might, not, so I might die here. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think here again is where, you know, I made my, listen, I said my, well, what I'm going to say about swimming and 3d platformers of this era. I'm, I'm, we're going to leave the we'll, swimming alone. We'll move on. Now. We'll move on, but it's just, it's a nightmare. You're constantly struggling against the controls. So I'm, I won't criticize the game for that because again, like I said, style at the time, what I will criticize rare for is um, I think the, your health in water um Big problem, big problem. How so? Um, and recovery. Uh, I drowned a lot in this level. And if you think I drowned a lot in this level, 
wait how much I drowned in a level coming up. <laughs> um, I drowned I drowned a lot here um, because there aren't really meaningful ways to get oxygen back. Um, there are those, there Except are those going above uh, other than well, the, the, also, the fish with the, there's that fish, which is functionally useless. So to even get the first jiggy of like low, like changing the water level that took me forever. And the other problem with that is I would explore the first half of the level or everything I could get access to get all the notes and then go to try and go down, swim down oh, and yeah, you change the water do, level. You gotta do that die, first. And then lose all the notes. And then now, yep. yep. And then all, instead of just, yeah. So big problems with Clinker's Cavern. You just got to run right to that. Just get it done. Hopefully you won't die. But yeah, Yeah. this level will find other ways to kill you. Yeah. The other thing I noticed in Clinker's Cavern that'll come back later is this is the first time where we see enemies that kind of pop out of holes in the wall. Oh, Um, yeah. And there is something about the hitbox and the timing with those. There is. There, there really that, is. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to. You didn't. That is just no matter how much I thought I knew it or I could anticipate it, never quite synced up with what I with what I thought it was going to. There um, are times where I will go the entire game and nail it every single time. Just jump, beat bash or whatever, like A and then B in the air and hit them every single time never got hit by him once and other times i think i'm going to do that and i just get screwed um which becomes a big problem in some levels because you might fall very far if you get hit by enemies like this yeah but so basically once you change the water level in clinker's cavern um it allows you access to different areas where you can get most of the other um jiggies um and yeah anything else to say about that one oh we can move yeah. somewhat quickly through some of these um yeah. next one is bubble gloop swamp it's a swamp level it is a swamp level. uh you turn into a crocodile um, um yeah i i actually uh i kind of like this one um, i like this one I, I like how it does a really great job of even though it's um so the last couple ones so actually every level before this has been very open uh yeah. from the start clinker's cavern once you get to clinker it, it opens up it's got that big open area yeah but bubble gloop swamp is kind of the first level um that's that's more like um like a spoke right so you kind of have a central area and then spokes off um, yeah to go do different things to get jiggies um which is you know also a format that works um in terms of like the very. sandbox way these levels can function yeah um so I, I like that as a setup also there's a lot of verticality to this level surprisingly yeah um it's in neat. that one there's one area where you kind of like bounce um up to different uh like huts yep yeah and this is notably the first jiggy in the game although not the one usually not the first that i will do but like this is the first jiggy in the game that you can use a move that you get in a later level to help get the jiggy more easily than the other way you would normally do it. Um, I won't get into what that is, but just, just worth noting because I did mention there's a minimal backtracking in this game. And this is just one that you can backtrack to go get and make it a little easier on yourself. Once you get the running shoes, we should also mention if we didn't clarify before, like you do not need to get every single jiggy and note to move on to the next level. Um, You can collect there's you know you can get zero you get one you do need to get a certain combination of jiggies and notes from the levels to be able to progress um but you know in one level you could only get two jiggies and then in your next level you get all 10 and all the notes and that would be enough for you to access say the third level and i just realized i I think i like put it earlier where if you die you lose all your notes you lose your notes collected for that level you have to collect those notes again but if you got 60 notes in a level it will count towards how many notes you have to open a note door 
Yes, but you were kind of shit out of luck. Right. Yeah. But like, if you die, then you got to collect those sixty, and then if you want those other forty, you just got you have to go get them. You have to get all of them again. Yes, you can also if you leave the level through the like pad that you entered it, it kind of locks them in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it, but if, if, then if you come back in, you still have to collect them all again. I believe. Do you? Yeah. No, I think if you leave the level, period, like. If I collect 50 notes, I leave, I come back. I have to, all hundred notes are there again. My note total for, for the purposes of opening a note door has increased by 50, but I have, I think I have to, I will admit, I have not had to worry about this in a long time. I get all the notes and I leave. I've never left. I've never had to worry about this in like 20 years. So I, 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 those note doors, the notes and I had, it could be, I could be wrong, but that's all right. Um, speaking of verticality, next level, Breezy's very vertical, very yeah. vertical. This is one of a uh, big giant snowman the, uh, in the middle. Um, there's a Christmas tree. There's a walrus uh, cave. There is a little like village, like very, this is a very Christmassy theme. Um, there is a, there are these um, evil um, snowmen that pelt you with snowballs. They're eerily accurate. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, the water will uh, take away your health uh, if you go in it while not being a walrus um, because the water is very cold. And you can transform into a walrus. And you can. This is also um, a level where you learn how to do uh, the like the beak bomb. Beak bomb. Yeah. yeah. So you um, like fly forward with uh, Kazooie to stab at people with her beak. Um, I found the controls on this to be very loosey goosey. Um, I thought it was fine. Uh, it's not to... as bad as swimming, but it, it no, no, there, no, there's no, a not. little, there's a little, you really need to be precise. And sometimes it's, it's difficult. I thought it was fine, uh, to get the buttons on the snowman. Um, I thought it was nightmarish to specifically yeah. target these snowman enemies. Yeah. That's a more tricky jiggy for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and this, so this is really like the first jiggy you cannot get in this game there's a there's a there's two races one of them you race as a walrus the other is you race um this polar bear named boggy um you have to race him as banjo but you can't beat him uh, and you realize you need running shoes and you get those running shoes in the next level uh which is Gobi's desert and um, it's a desert i'm gonna i'm gonna throw it out here Gobi's desert is my favorite level in this game i think it's my favorite too well and what's so strange is like normally i don't like sand levels i don't like desert levels like in any in sonic in mario i generally don't care for them i actually really like this level yeah i think it's it's both big enough um and uh i think it's got a lot going on um intern or externally like the external level but also it has so many internal spaces yeah it's fun there's, there's yeah, fun they, stuff to do. they really take advantage of the fact there's like different temples and pyramids you can go into yeah, it, yeah. It, it on the outside you're like oh it's, there's another pyramid over there but like you go in there's a new challenge like it, yeah. it feels it, it's a really nice level it's it's really nice yeah, and then um, we get kind of our spooky level next. Our spooky level, yeah. and you turn into a pumpkin in this in this level. You Mad do. Monster Mansion. What did you think of this level? I, I wasn't actually sure what you would think about this level. So um, I uh, I think overall it's good. Um, I do have some issues with it. Okay. Um, I think that the maze is like very. The maze is extremely overly punishing. It's annoying. Um, yeah, sure. there's a, and having there's the ghosts in there doesn't help. Yeah, the, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's the it's the ghosts. If it was just yeah. the maze. That would be that wouldn't be an issue. Uh, the games had you navigate mazes before. Like there's a maze in the in the swamp, but instead of and in the desert around, 
and in the desert yes uh but in the swamp one it's just you have to have the boots to make sure you're not falling in the poison water in this maze it's both a very complicated maze but also there are ghosts who can travel through the walls to hurt you yeah um and that again is like where also there's two of them that again i just felt like developers like this is an 11 you could have dialed this down to like a nine and it still would have been challenging and fun um this is just it's too much i i i don't care for it they are expecting you to use the wonder wing to kill them though and just not have to deal with them anymore uh if you knew to do that i did not yeah i did i did not know that would kill them it does well i had run away from them and died many many times that's okay now you know now the next time you play it'll be smooth yeah um Um, but other but i would say other than that i think it's a fun level i think um, i like it it's 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 very dense actually yeah Um, it's not actually very like big but there's a ton of stuff in it there's a graveyard there's a spooky mansion um there's like this weird terrifying like alt dimension house with like light shooting out of it like yeah um it's it's actually it's kind of fun for like a spooky level i like it yeah good and, and just to me that I, mean, I, I think you agree the music is really phenomenal throughout um i mean throughout the game yes and in this level definitely yeah yeah uh and now we get to uh probably i'd say the easiest level in the game <laughs> <laughs> no this is rusty bucket bay this is i said i wrote down generally regarded i think widely and maybe unanimously regarded as the hardest level in the game by far especially to speed run or 100 percent all right here's okay here's where here's where um i'm gonna have to confess something to you um i beat this game in the sense that i watched someone play the entirety of the game on youtube after this point Ah, you didn't play the last level. <laughs> I know because I couldn't, I couldn't get enough notes and jiggies from Rusty Bucket Bay. Um, I miss Click Clock Wood because of fucking Rusty Bucket Bay. Oh, um, well, and Rusty uh, Bucket Bay. I, I know, I know. Rusty Bucket Bucket Bay was my Waterloo. Um, this combines the swimming issues, the drowning issues. Uh, shark. The, There's a shark the, the in camera, oil water. The that... shark. The oil, like. It is every every problem with this game conspiring against you to like halt your progress. It is it is the hardest level. It has yeah. It is oil water which drains your health even faster. You can't just be on the surface. You'll you'll die even if you're just like on the surface of the water. Um, there is an engine room uh, with some propellers and there's like it just really tricky platforming challenges in this level. It is extremely difficult and then i will say so there's interactivity that on the nintendo 64 version you were just missing or they're they are trying to cue you you were not seeing so for example like uh, this is a level i so i watched this level i watched click woods and then i watched the end game all through let's plays um and rusty bucket bay um i watched let's plays um and there were things that I missed, but one of the things that I missed is one of the Let's Plays I was watching was a Let's Play for the Xbox Live version. And the Xbox Where you Live keep version your notes. cleaned up graphics. Oh. Well, you get to keep your notes, one. But two, makes it very clear that, for example, um, that crane, those buttons are manipulated. Like, you can manipulate yeah. them. On the Nintendo 64 version, it just looks like a background pattern. It looks like red lights. If you don't... Not- 
Yeah. If you don't look at it at the right angle, you don't you yeah. can't even tell that one's Sa- protruding. And even exactly. if you can see that, sometimes it's not always clear. Same thing with the with the interactable windows. Again, also this, that was an issue in Mad Monster Mansion. It's it's very especially in the Nintendo 64 version where the the graphical fidelity is not, you know, as clean as the Xbox Live version. It's really difficult sometimes to understand what you can and can't interact with. Yeah. Which also kind of screws you over in terms of like finding what you need to do or where you need to go. Um, this level really, really, really um, frustrated me. Also confused me because I was thinking about um, like the levels that had come before. And, you know, I had looked up the levels after I was getting like stuck on this one and click clock wood and looking up that level and being like, this level is so cool. Um, I, I was baffled that they had Clanker's Cavern and this level in the same game. And I was trying to think, like, why? Like, why could that be? And the only thing I could think of is, one, they they felt that they needed another water level, mm-hmm. one, which I don't think they do. But two, I was like, maybe they just couldn't think of other themes. And what I thought of uh, was, how great would it be if they had a level designed around, um, her name escapes me at the moment, but Gruntilda's sister. Brentilda. Brentilda. How great would it be if like we go to Brentilda's house for a level where it's all like rainbows and unicorns randomly? That would be fun. Um, wouldn't that be fun? But no, we get this like, gross we're double down we're double downing on water we're also double downing on gross water because clanker's cavern was gross water until you cleaned it out and this is gross water that also kills you twice as fast if you ever play banjo 2e you should probably just play it on xbox somehow um i think you would like the level design in banjo 2e like the level themes and such um i would say like like rusty bucket bay is harder than like any level of banjo 2e um anyway Rusty Bucket Bay, go fuck yourself. Um, yes, yes, go fuck yourself. You stopped me from seeing the rest of the game. But I still like well, this. I still like this is, level of the fact that it's in this game, and I love yeah. this game. Let me well, let me clarify though that I did again. I watched full playthroughs of the rest of the game, so I am prepared to talk about it. I just did not feel it in my hands. Gotcha. And well, you need to hang on to Man sixty four and feel it. Yeah. Um, and if you want, um, so click lock wood, this is a neat level. This is the final like main level of the game. Um, also, um, kind of what's weird about this level is that it kind of features a jet, like very gimmicky, which is kind of interesting because the other levels have their own gimmicks, but not like this one, this one, like it's almost entirely gimmick. Yeah. Uh, you, um, basically visit the same area, uh, which is this giant tree and the kind of like surrounding area, um, in four different seasons, starting with spring. Um, and it's really, it's really fun. Uh, the, depending on what season it is, the level changes, you know, in the fall, there'll be piles of leaves that help you climb the level faster. Um, in spring, um, why well, spring, you could the only season you could turn into a bee. Um, that's the transformation in this one. Um, there are like our jiggies that you can get by having to do things in spring and then do that something again in summer and then in fall and then in winter really neat challenges. I think, I think it was a really, it's really gimmicky. Yes. But I think this is a really neat level. It has its own platforming problems of its own. Not, I'm not like furious with them by any means. I mean, they have more of those enemies that pop out of the, these birds will pop out of holes in the tree. And if you get hit, sometimes you might knock you off the tree. You can die very easily. If you fall off the tree, I remember this level being very, very difficult when I first played it now, not really. Um, but yeah, you never know. Sometimes you could fall off the tree and die. Um, that's, a, probably, that's a speed run ender. 
mechanically probably the most complicated level. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. 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 Um, really fun level though. Um, really neat. Um, so really that brings us to the end game. And so this is the other thing I knew about this game is Grunty's Furnace Fun. Okay. Um, I did know about this. Um, it is a quiz game. No, not a quiz game. I'm sorry. It's a board yeah. game. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination board quiz game. Right. Um, where you are answering questions based on um, the things Gruntilda has been telling you about Grunty. That's part of it. Um, but what I didn't realize is that what, what Gruntilda tells you is procedurally generated on each playthrough based on a certain number of pre-selected possibilities. Is that correct? Um, wait, are you talking about the grunty questions? Yes. Like the specific on her? Yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah. Now, uh, I, don't, but- I, don't, I don't talk to Brentilda. I just like hit the middle answer every single time and hope that I get, get it right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a way to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fun, you know, there, there's different like themed, um, questions. There's like audio, like who, which character sounds like this, what item sounds like this. There's visual, like where, what level is this from? It gives you like a really zoomed up view of a, of a part of the level. Uh, some questions are like, what's the name of this character? Um, sometimes they'll ask you like how many of this is in a picture you just saw. Um, sometimes you have to replay some of the mini games. Um, and like you said, you have to answer questions about Grunty. Uh, kind of there are joker there are joker pieces where you can uh, if you get the question right on a joker spot you get joker cards that allow you to skip um play um spots there are skull spots that if you d- get if you fail the challenge or get the question wrong you die so i skip those yes also if you do get a grunty question wrong you lose a health um and if uh you know if you have low health um ob- i did not make it to this point in the game but i only had five honeycombs um so i can imagine myself playing through here and if i died because i got a question wrong i'd probably be really mad at myself well let's get to that uh let's get to this next part because if you only had five if you have low honeycombs the final boss fight would be very difficult well and that's that's kind of interesting because we should talk about that because it's not the final boss fight um, it's the only boss fight. Oh, it's the only boss fight. That's true. Yeah. It, it is the only boss fight in the game. That is true. Um, I think that the Grunty fight is one of the best boss fights uh, in 3D platforming, for sure. Um, maybe one of my favorites in video game ever. I'm not saying that everyone should think this and it's objective, but it is a... It's an excellent example of a tough but fair boss fight where you are putting to use everything, nearly everything that you've learned in the game. Um, yes. And it, including precise platforming. And it is just, it's, I think it's a really well-designed fight. I also think it's very difficult. Uh, I mean, now I don't. Um, and I almost, almost really like recently learned how to like master this fight and just like not even come close to dying. But like, even when I would replay this game, when I wasn't trying to like speed run, if I would just pick it up, you know, like 10 years ago, like I, this is a hard boss fight. I would die sometimes. And, and I would even die. So like really quick, if you get all the notes and all the jiggies in the game, you get access to an area right before the final boss fight that gives you bonus, like gives you an increased feather capacity, increased egg capacity, increased um, red and gold feather capacity, and gives you double health. Even with double health, when I was younger, I would die to Grunty. Um, there's tricks to like avoiding that kind of like easy death and getting hit by everything. 
Um, sometimes I would just tank hits and just win that way. Um, but I, just generally, I think this is a really excellent boss fight. What did you yeah. think from observing it? So, yeah, from observing it, uh, from watching the person play on YouTube. Um, no, I, I agree with you. Um, it's definitely the case, like you said, of using a little bit of everything. You're going to be using that beak bomb. You're going to be using, you're going to be shooting eggs. You're going to be doing, you know, all those things that you've learned how to do. Um, I, I would say, I yeah, from what I saw, it seemed tough but fair. Um, and then can we talk about what happens at the end with, uh, with that? Yeah, do it. Um, so those Jinjos you've been collecting this whole time, um, they like the spirits of them come together and form like a, a Jinjo mech Jinjinator. robot, they, like golem. They beat her ass. And they, they kill her and throw her off the tower, basically, or throw her off the tower. And then she gets crushed by a rock. She Poor sure does. Team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Jinjos, I guess the Chekhov's Jinjo came through, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the main game. Um, I have a note here just to mention briefly, uh, the stop and swap feature. We got to get through to, to our final category. So I'm not going to spend much time on this, but this is, this is kind of like a bonus content thing where it was originally meant to be an integration with the, with the planned sequel. Um, there are various versions of it. Um, one was actually going to require you to like, take data off, like save data on your, on your memory card and then use it um, for Banjo-Tooie to like unlock certain things in Banjo-Tooie. Um, there's like these little hidden eggs and uh, an ice key that you can get in this game. It's really complicated actually. And I don't really, it's not really worth going into a lot of detail on, but it's just an interesting kind of like feature that they kind of abandoned when they realized it wasn't going to work. Uh, and, and just also, left it in the game. It's well also important to note, like even people who know nothing about Banjo and Kazooie have heard of this. Like I, even knowing what little I knew about Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie, I knew about Stop and Swap. Um, it was it was like you said, very highly publicized and kind of unfortunately went nowhere. Yeah. Um, well, Banjo Tooie does have some like nods to the failed Stop and Swap, which are some some like meta nods. Others are just like. You can collect the types of things. It, there's some references to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, what works about this game? Uh, you're asking me. I'm um, asking you. Yeah, so I'm going to say a lot works about this game. Um, I'm going to say the sandbox style of the, the levels works for me. I like that, like Mario Sunshine, like Mario Odyssey, um, you're able to just collect um, kind of everything without having to wait for the game to... Um, you know, gate you um, yeah. the way Mario does, or certain Mario games do. Um, I do like the art style. I like the vibrant color palette, um, minus the kind of sameness of a gr Grunty's Lair. Um, I like the level themes for the most part. I think they're all really um, creative and um, they really deliver on the concept. Like um, yeah. Gobi's Desert and um, uh freezy peak or whatever the the snow one and the desert one like gives you everything you could possibly want in desert level right you have mummies you have sand you know quicksand you have pyramids you have camels you have all that stuff for uh freezy peak you have snowmen you have christmas you yeah. have um you know like the frosty little village you have evil snowmen you have a walrus like the, the, a lot of the themes to the levels maximize kind of everything about that theme which i think uh is really cool um, again, minus, you know, the, the water levels. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Rusty Bucket Bay 
really kind of recreates the feeling of being waterboarded with uh i mean i will say i mean it makes me feel like you're in a place called rusty bucket bay like you don't want to stay there you want to get out of there yeah um i think like i said the simplicity of the story works um it certainly doesn't overstay its welcome yeah um i think like really my summation is that i think this is like an a a minus game um that right now is held back by a lot of um genre and developer issues mm-hmm. that in my mind make it like a like a b b minus um uh, and again this is this is coming from 2021 eyes right sure. i think if i played this game when i was a kid i then this would be an a for me yeah this is an um a I, this me. would be as this would be as fluent for me as mario 64 yeah um i would just know it like the back of my hand these issues wouldn't stand out to me I think playing it for the first time in 2021, I'm going to give this like a B and we don't do this, you know, on the show, we don't give grades, Yeah. but like, I, I do really believe that like, if this game of all the games we played, I think this game is begging for a like true re remake. Um, I think a true remake from rare from the ground up, which, you know, may not even be a thing anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, look at ukulele, like who knows who owns the ukulele is a great example of like how to try to do this and fail. Like they really tried to do the same thing and just did not succeed. Yeah. But I think everything's here. Like, I think everything's here in Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. I think if they remade it and like just tool those things we've been talking about, you would have a stellar example of like, a 3d platformer that i think is fun and works yeah um i think playing this game overall maybe think about 3d platformers as a genre and maybe why as a genre they're not my favorite and i think that might be a, an interesting discussion to have, maybe have at the end or maybe later or we can have it now i think we should have it now yeah so here's what i was thinking about in terms of like 3d platformers and why um I, I like them, but maybe why they don't click with me the same way now as they did when they first kind of came out. Because I, I was like you, I played this, I played Arrow the Act, or well, I played Mario 64, I played like Arrow the Acrobat. Like I tried other 3D platformers and generally like them. As an adult, I've tried to go back and like I bought Hat in Time and like I tried to play it. And you know, I've I'm I played this, and I think the issue with 3D platformers to me. And I was thinking about it because something like Super Mario Odyssey, right? Super Mario Odyssey is kind of the, the, the most recent big triple A 3D platformer and kind of really like the only one that's yeah. come out in like a long time. And I think the reason is like just the idea of a 3D platformer, like the concept of it is to move in 3D space. That's it. Like if you really break down what, what a 3D platformer is and like what is the the nugget like the idea of collecting things in 3d space not not even that though it's not even that it's can you get from point a to point b in a 3d space yeah and collecting may be a part of that usually is but yeah usually is and i was thinking about like the prices for failure um in gaming and like why failure feels okay in some games and absolutely enraging in others when i failed in this game it was generally frustrating and enraging Um, And I think the reason for that is because when you fail in other games or in other genres, like if I fail a boss fight in an RPG, right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can learn something from that. Right. Maybe my equipment wasn't optimized. Maybe there, or there were certain status effects I wasn't using. Like I can go back the next time feeling like I am better equipped or I have more information to tackle this challenge 
3D platformers, the only information you have under the best circumstances is that your reflexes just weren't quite good enough. Yeah, or, or you didn't you notice Banjo's shadow when you were jumping. You, well, but that's but that's under worse circumstances. Under yeah. the best circumstances, like you just didn't manipulate the character in the given space under the given physics in the right way. And it's like, oops, you didn't do it right. Do it again, I guess. Um, and that doesn't feel great. Like, I don't felt feel like I learned anything. I just feel like I have to try something road again until I pull it off. Yeah, I um, think the way you put it is good. I mean, the, the in a lot of platformers, both modern and in the past, like the punishment for failure sometimes is too much. It's too, it doesn't, it outweighs the feeling of success that you get for mastering a platforming challenge. Yeah. And I think something else I was thinking about is I was thinking about Mario Odyssey and playing through this game. I was like, should I just like brush that off? Should I play Mario Odyssey again? And it was just to see, you know, just kind of like 2021 3d platformer versus, you know, 1998. And I was thinking about it and I was like, I picked up Mario Odyssey on a Friday. I had the game beaten, not hundred percent, but beaten by Sunday. And I literally haven't touched it since. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about why. And I was thinking about because like versus other games that I want to replay, the idea of just being able to like pull off jumps and things and really not a lot else doesn't, it doesn't intellectually satisfy me the way that other genres do. And maybe that's because I'm older or maybe that's because I've changed. Um, I mean, what do you think? I think that they, I feel that way that they, they, I prefer them less now than I ever have. I still have a, a major nostalgia for them. And a lot of it is just the games I used to play. Like I still like going back and playing Mario 64 and Banjo-Kazooie, but even Mario 64 and Banjo-Kazooie, two of my favorite games, especially Banjo-Kazooie. They don't stimulate me in the same way that some more modern games are doing lately. Like I, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that this game is better than Nier Automata, but I'm playing Nier Automata right now. And I love it a lot. And I, if, it, if I had to pick between picking up Banjo for an afternoon and beating it versus playing more Nier Automata, I would take Nier Automata. And that's, and that's like a hack and slash type game, not even really in the style of a game that like I, I generally like. I, I, like. I like platformers more than I like hack and slash stuff. And like, but it's got RPG elements. It's got an incredible story. Um, I'm touching on the what, are, what have you been playing recently segment right now. But it's just a... I would agree with you on a lot of what you just said. Um, and I think that it's just the 3d platforming is, is just interesting. Now. I think that most of my love for the genre comes from nostalgia, but if like you're telling me Nintendo's putting out a new 3d platformer, I'm fucking in. If you tell me really anyone else is putting out a new 3d platformer, I'm like, I don't know. It might be bad. You know, like it's like, you can only trust Nintendo with it at this point. And yeah, not, not every, people aren't really doing it. There's like Psychonauts 2. I haven't played it, but I, I enjoyed Psychonauts 1, but it's it's no, I don't know. It's not as good as others. Well, even Mario, I mean, even Mario Odyssey kind of wisely understands that um, it's not enough to just be Mario the whole time. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's the thing. And maybe that's really what it's at. It's like, it's just not enough to like be Banjo and like Kazooie and like do Banjo Kazooie yeah. stuff. Like, it's not enough to be Mario and like do Mario's like 64 stuff. Like, it just feels very, um, it feels very simple. Even it feels very, it feels like what you were being asked to do at the end of the day for some of these challenges 
is very simple, even if what that looks like is not. And what I mean is, even if um, like the actual platforming challenge is really tricky and difficult in like a Banjo-Kazooie, at the end of the day, all you're being asked to do is to like jump across a series of things to pick up a glowing object, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if you screw it up, it's like, I guess you should jump better or I yeah. guess you're going a little bit better next time. And that doesn't really feel great to like iteratively loop through not as an adult. I feel more not frustrated now, even yeah. having like basically mastered this game. If I die, even if I'm not trying to like speed run it or anything, if I die, I'm just frustrated. And like, compo- I don't have time for this shit. Compounded with the, the fact that you lose your notes when you die. Yeah. For me, being the first time I played through this game, it just made it like probably 20 times more difficult to pick myself back up, dust myself off and yeah. keep going. Um, because like in my mind, nothing about me dying after collecting 25 notes. Like I collected the notes. I, I demonstrated that I could do, like I demonstrated to the game that I could do that successfully. Yeah. So why are you making me do that like, again? At least let arbitrarily. You yeah. Like it, it was things like that where it's like, this is, this is beyond my level of patience. I do think owner. that Banjo-Tooie actually addresses that a little bit and makes it easier in some ways, but I think it makes it harder in others. um that i mean that being said like again like i found this game like in a lot of ways really delightful i loved some of the platforming challenges like i i I don't want to sound really negative like i think yeah given a remaster from the ground up or a remake like a really with a lot of loving care like addressing these issues i think you'd have a really solid like a a plus game here like, it honestly I think sounds it, like you yeah. should just play the the Xbox version. Maybe I should, honestly. I, I, I'm I'm going to watch a video on it later, and I'm going to see if like the it's slip as slippery it, because because it, it, it honestly, answers a lot of your your concerns. I it's think. like if if the swimming was fixed, if the slipperiness was fixed, if the note thing was fixed, like I think I would probably really like this game. Oh, I, I that is to say, I do like this game. I think I would I would lean yeah. more towards loving this game. Yeah, I. I think um, you. I think you should play the Xbox One. It sounds like, and you should play. You should just play Banjo Tooie on that too. Well, why don't you buy me an Xbox One and then I can no. do that. Well, hopefully they'll just uh, put that. Sh- well, they're not going to put it on Switch anyway. Um, oh, really quick, we got to get to the segments. But yeah. I've I've talked a lot throughout this episode about the things I love about this game. I really love this game a lot. I think it is a incredible 3D platformer, probably my favorite ever made. Um, despite even its flaws that we have talked about. So things that don't work, I think I'm in alignment with you on some of them. I might not feel them as, as intensely. And I think some of that is just because I play the game so much and I know I'm very fluent in it now. And that obviously biases me and helps me. And it makes me kind of ignorant to some of, some of the glaring flaws in it. And so I'm really glad we had this discussion because I think you bring up a lot of excellent points. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's a really great game. Uh, charming. It's, 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 it's smooth in a lot of ways. Um, just a really good example of how to do 3d platforming uh, well. And it's in a genre where it's really hard to do it. No one's ever really done it perfectly. Well, and I, I think what the point you're making is something we talked about earlier is like, I think they do a really good job of trying to figure out like, how can we maximize kind of everything? Maximize the levels, maximize yeah. what you can do in them. I think they go overboard a little bit, but I think they do generally a really good job of um, how can we, you know, sk- you know, how can we use all of the 3D platforming Buffalo? Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Let's uh, let's explore this world uh, a little bit. Um, so this is a game. So let's cast this movie. Um, what do you have for this? I'm very curious. Okay. So this is actually informed by our conversation last week. That's what I, I did a Hollywood algorithm type. Yeah. Like, how, what, what would they do? How would they cast this? So this is informed based on our conversation last week about the Super Mario Brothers movie that is yep. uh, forthcoming. I went uh, fully in that direction. So I went fully in that direction too, because uh, like given the spirit of that, um, I was trying to think of like British actors uh, to play these roles. I only went but, with one British actor. But, you know, honestly, I, I was going to go with... Um, uh with all americans basically here's 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 what i want i basically went the it's always sunny cast i guess these (laughs) characters but because it kind of works though yeah uh, so i definitely think you could have charlie be banjo because charlie's kind of the brainless thoughtless or rather i should say charlie day the actor but they would kind of also be playing their characters to a degree and it's always funny i think charlie day would be a great banjo d the bird Um, d the bird of course um, I think Artemis as Grunty is a natural, right? I, um, yes, I actually Danny, did. Danny DeVito as Bottles is like, how Obviously. could you not? Obviously. Um, uh, and then Dennis, you know, Dennis, I figured could play a lot of the NPC kind of side roles. Um, but that was kind of like my main, like my main vibe. And then of course you could have Rickety Cricket um, as, you know, also a bunch of NPCs. Wow, I, I didn't expect you to go fully always sunny, but. I mean, those are the people I was thinking just because like, I feel like they would kind of match the energy and tone. It's kind of like Banjo-Kazooie has kind of this weird, like off like energy and tone and humor. Um, And I feel like they would really work. And it's like Charlie as Banjo, D as Kazooie and um, Artemis as Gruntilda and Danny DeVito as Bottles. Like those all work so perfectly. Danny DeVito's Bottles. That's a good one. I like give them, have them channel that Phil energy from uh, Hercules yeah yes exactly yeah okay i kind of want to scratch my bottles and go with that i i went a little bit with like voices i think i I really went in voice territory so so i I mean obviously animated movie though i think a realistic like uncanny valley uh lion king remake type animation would be terrifying Uh, i'm so so happy you mentioned the lion king we're gonna table that keep going Oh, good. Uh, so, vo- <laughs> so voices. Here we go. I got. I first. I first wrote Chris Pratt. LOL. No. Uh, okay. As banjo. Uh, Seth Rogen is banjo. Ooh. Sarah Silverman is Kazooie. Oh. Okay. Helena Bonham Carter is Grunty. Wow. Meryl is... Streep is Brintilda or Sandra Bullock. I put. And then I had Michael Sarah as Bottles. Mm, okay. I can see that. Yeah. I like uh, that. I like yeah. that. See, like here's this, see, you know what you've done accidentally? What? You have, you have just cast the Banjo-Kazooie movie 10 years ago. <laughs> like, think about all those actors. That's true. You just cast the movie, but 10 years ago. I mean, it, I could see it now. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe more like 10 years ago. Um, l- Would I want to live in the world of this game? No. Absolutely and also, not. knowing what I know about Banjo-Tooie and the larger world? No, absolutely not. Also, I guess, I guess maybe we should ask, uh, are there humans in this world? Is Mumbo-Jumbo a human? Is Grunty? Oh, yeah. Is Grunty a I human? I think so. Yeah, I don't know if Mumbo like, is. Because I was like, so do the answer is the world? answer is yes. Humans do exist because there's a racist character in the next one who's human. Well, not racist, but culturally insensitive character that is human. There are humans. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm 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 good. I'm not. I don't want to live here. 
Um, Kingdom Hearts Corner. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts Corner. Um, so Kingdom Hearts Corner, uh, my answers are pretty boring. Same. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was going to call the level Spiral Mountain when I was under the impression that the entire thing was Spiral well, Mountain. Well, I actually picked Spiral Mountain because I said it would probably be a boring pick from the game. I'd want something like Click Clock would, but Nomura would pick would do something boring with this. I just know it. Um, so can, can I tell you, though, what my um, what my gameplay would be? Yeah. So uh, I was thinking about it and I was like, because this has so many different worlds, like, I don't know how you would represent them all. So I was like, what if this was a, um, a like mini game world a la Hundred Acre Woods or a la mm. Little Mermaid in Kingdom Hearts 2? Okay. And what if um, the gameplay conceit of this world is you were putting puzzles together um, and the puzzles are all the like different uh, like world like puzzles? Okay. Um, and you get different rewards from them, like summons or different things for Sora. Um, and it could be like the 100 Acre Woods level where like maybe you go to Spiral Mountain or Grunty's Lair and you interact with Banjo and them. But the actual like gameplay looks like you go like, in, you know, in uh, Atlantica and Kingdom Hearts 2, it was all the rhythm games, you know, all the songs. Right. For this, it would be like, OK, you have this new puzzle to put together uh, that will unlock the next, you know, area. OK. What about your uh, Keyblade? Uh, the Keyblade, this is also boring. Um, it's the stop and stop and swap key. Um, and the keychain uh, emblem is the uh, Jiggy. I don't think that's boring because I think that, I, well, at least what I tell myself when I feel like uninspired is like, well, Nomura sometimes like takes stuff and makes it boring. Like he picked Monstro <laughs> for the fucking Pinocchio level. I mean, you're inside. It's like the Jabba Jabba's belly of Kingdom Hearts, but yeah, it, like, it's worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, just wait until you play um, Dream Drop Distance where you go to the other Pinocchio level and it's somehow even more boring. Oh, wonderful. I thought you couldn't get worse yeah, than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I said like Spiral Mountain. Um, I, I guess like in terms of like gameplay, like what, what are you doing? Are you just collecting puzzle pieces? Maybe to like put a puzzle together and help. But, that, but that's kind of the thing though. Like how do you envision it as a Kingdom Hearts world? Because there's so many different, like, is it just Spiral Mountain? Are you going to be going to like Treasure Trove? No, like, how does that work? I, I have it as just Spiral Mountain. Yeah. It's just like, and that's it. Like you just go in different areas, learn moves, like find puzzle pieces. It'd be pretty boring. Um, just given like the nature of like the dialogue in this game and all the levels, the Keyblade name would need to be alliterative, but it wouldn't be because Nomura isn't that smart. Uh, or I, I put it as Final Piece. That is the name of the Keyblade. I like uh, that. Uh, the blade part is a jiggy, uh, and the keychain is just like a note or a mumbo token. Uh, not a whole lot of. And, and when I said where the keyhole is, I don't know. Banjo's house. I don't. Oh, the keyhole. Yeah, the keyhole. Um, uh, inside Grunty's heart. Who cares? Whatever. Um, fan fiction corner. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, yeah, we talked about before we recorded. I, I found a lot of really boring stuff that I didn't put down, and then I also didn't look anymore when you said you found something. Um, a lot of just really boring. Like, here's what the third game would be like, type stuff. Um, or just like really stupid, like Banjo's a zombie now or something. I don't know. Yeah, uninspired. I found, I, I found three. Let's um, hear. yeah. So let's let's hear them. Um, so I found three, and they're kind of actually ironic, not ironically, coincidentally, um, all emblematic of the kind of different uh, fan fictions I found. So there's actually a shocking degree of like micro fan fiction around Banjo and Kazooie. Did you did you discover that? I think what I came up with my idea for my fan fiction is micro fan fiction. Uh, yeah. what, what, what did you find? Well, there's so many that are like 
150 words, 200 words, 75 words, 120 words. And they're just these very short, like paragraph long, like Mike, again, micro fiction. Oh, that's actually, that's not as short as I was thinking. Never uh, it's very, it's very like, it's very kind of artsy and bizarre. Uh, and I don't know why Banjo Kazooie is the like franchise. Is it sloppy like, though? Is it like really like well put together? Just short? No, or it's is it, like... it's well. I'm gonna read you this little piece of poetry, which you tell me. Sure. Um. So it's called "Don't Nut, or You'll Bolt." <laughs> um. Okay. Now, now. Well, this sounds like Banjo Kazooie, the franchise fan. So yeah. So which I tried to stay away from. However, I'm only going to read this because one, it's short, and two, I think when we get to the end, you'll understand why. Okay. Whoa, Banjo exclaimed as he was trying to steer his red bolt bucket vehicle through the sandy stretches of Seaside Hill. This thing is heavier than I thought. What do you mean you're shocked? Kazooie squawked angrily. You're the one who knows how to drive. As Banjo and Kazooie were trying their best to go to go about with their drifting around, Sonic watched from the distance oh, in yes. his own car with his arms wrapped around the back of his head, smirking as he was enjoying this a bit too much. We've arrived. Man, are they a little bit shaky after a while, Sonic said, while twirling a chili dog in his right hand, munching on it fast. As you do. Wonder if I should give him any pointers. The end. Um, A couple things. I have no notes. I have no notes at all. Yeah, so we have we, we have Sonic. <laughs> we we have a Sonic banjo because it would crossover. Shockingly, this is like one of the only coherent ones I could find um, that existed on the internet that I was able to find. Um, two, I enjoy that Sonic just spins chili dog twirls them in his in his hand like a pen Classic. while also eating them. Um, so we have that. Also, it was published on Christmas Day two years ago. <laughs> Someone had a really great Christmas. Someone had someone had a real crisis that's so probably that's, the best part that you mentioned about the entire thing is that it was published on christmas day two years yeah. ago so uh so that's like emblematic of one this like weird microfiction that again i found multiple parts to um here's the other uh kind of genre that i found um this one is called becoming closer okay all right so i'm gonna do a short reading would you would you care to hear it i would love to hear it okay um let's see here we go Kazooie, do you really want this? He asked her, his voice gentle, yet holding a strong undertone of desire. Yes, Banjo, I do want this. I want you. Kazooie answered, kissing him again. Banjo growled softly as he caressed her form, small gasps and moans, and a dusting of pink (laughs) pink across Kazooie's beak. Oh, God, let's skip forward. You're beautiful. Banjo whispered, curling his fingers, being careful with his claws. Mm-hmm. He was now glad he'd taken to filing them down rather than keeping them sharp <laughs> like he used to. Feeling the warm wetness around his fingers, he couldn't help but wonder what it would be like if he was inside her. A whimper <laughs> escaped Kazooie as her body shuddered, pleasure rolling over her. She relaxed. Oh Banjo slid his finger out of her curiously and licked his fingers clean. Oh my you taste sweet, he said, making the brie <laughs> making the brigal flush further. <laughs> c- 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 could we all go all the way now? She asked, <laughs> oh looking God. at him with pleading eyes. And it goes on. Um, so that's that's how an entire, much longer does it go? Oh, on? you uh, we could. I mean, I don't. I actually don't want to know. Also, send me the link though. You're so beautiful. So, so beautiful, Banjo says before letting out a rumbling, almost like a purr. Banjo, 
Kazooie mumbled against his neck. I think I'm close. Oh, Me too, Banjo replied, panting, gritting his teeth. Anyway, so that's that's an entire genre. It's good that he's a considerate is, lover that he files his well, claws Well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the fiction, uh, in this fiction, it presupposes that there is consent, that they're in love, uh, that presumably they're of age. Um, so all things considered, you know, if this lights your fire, uh, this fan fiction isn't the worst. Um, it's weird and gross, but, you know, it's not rapey. Uh, they're of age. Like, it doesn't have the really gross, creepy stuff that a lot of fan fiction It does doesn't have now. tales in it, which I would say is its biggest flaw. Like, if I could use tales in any of my fan fiction, I'd say make that a three-way. Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't. Um, and then there's the third one, which falls under the uh, the fan fiction that we see a lot, which is just novelize or a oh, novelization of yawn. the game. Now, yeah, Yawn, here's the thing, though, about this very specific novelization that okay. I find del- delightful. Yes, let's um, hear. It's called Banjo-Kazooie the Novel. Uh, it is by a user called Tabby Bry, all one word. Um, and so after eight chapters and 60,000 words, um, she has this author's note. So again, 60,000 words. Okay. Okay. Hi, folks. Here I am with another piece of news I hope you won't find too disappointing. The only way I can see to continue to novelize this Banjo-Kazooie game is to simply recite again and again that they picked up this item and picked up that item and describe the area that they had picked it up in. Now that Banjo and, now that Banjo and Kazooie know most of their moves, there's even less to write about than in the previous chapters. Wait, 60,000 words <laughs> of him just lear- learning his moves? Also, what did you think you were getting into when yeah, you were novelizing you Banjo-Kazooie? How did you not realize this from the get-go? Yeah. So they go on to say, I thank you for your time and attention to my story, and I hope you'll stick with me with my Lion King stories. Now, we're going to talk about this person and their Lion King stories Let's get into in this. just a moment. However, please remember everything you just heard this person say, right? Yeah. There's no point in writing a novelization to a video game. It was a waste of their 60,000 words. It's just them like listing off the items uh, that they were going to pick up. Right. Right. So they already said that in this post, right? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to keep reading. Speaking of novelizations, a Spyro story has been bouncing around my head for quite some time. I'm hoping to find that it would make a better novelization than Banjo-Kazooie, and I'm seriously giving it a, I'm giving it a try. Didn't you just in this post talk about how nonsensical it is to novelize a platforming game where all you talk about is the items you pick up? And now in the same post, you were considering a novelization of a Spyro game how can you not see that that is going to create the exact same problems that you <laughs> like tabby bry it's in the same post oh, how are you not seeing this tabby bry you poor soul um it closes with thank you very much for coming with me coming with me this far and thank you especially to those who have become friends throughout this effort now really quickly so are you friends with tabby bry no i'm not but i want to be so uh, going on to their profile, this is Banjo-Kazooie, so I don't want to get into too much uh, fan fiction talk. I think but, this is appropriate, though. But uh, Tabby Bry, their main, uh, they're a 25-year-old woman. They identify as of June, July 20th, 2020. Um, so this is pretty current. Their main fan fiction um, passion is the Lion King, okay? Now, um, they have a novelization of Banjo and Kazooie um, of about 60,000 words. How long do you think their original 
fan fiction for the Lion King with all new original characters. How long do you think that is? 160,000 words. Not even close. Try again. 500,000 words. Not even close. Try again. Um, it's actually much less than that. It's oh. half, it's around half that. It's 280,000 words. Okay. It is 280,000 words. Um, and it is a fan fiction about the Lion King. Yeah. Also, if while we're on our holidays, um, the last entry updated New Year's Eve. 2020 wow yeah um fan fiction is a beautiful wild world it really is um and going along with that uh i would say this i would say the banjo kazooie world warrants fan fiction yes i would say there's so many unknowns and so many colorful characters i would kind of like to to see some some new interesting adventures what would you write your fan fiction uh for for our friend banjo and i want Kazooie? i actually had like i wanted a short story about mumbo at shaman school learning his trade uh mm. and i wanted there to be full of meta jokes about how culturally insensitive mumbo i do is. like that um i want a full uh crossover with sonic i think it's crazy that it hasn't happened why can sonic yeah. not crash his plane into the banjo kazooie island a la angel island uh banjo pilot is a game banjo pilot I mean, is a game you could have sonic be a racer in that game then yeah. there uh, the, the possibilities are endless for fans i fiction. agree um but that's all i have for fan fiction corner cool. uh actually pretty satisfying this week i will say yeah no that especially, was good. especially the the self-defeating uh tabby bry who it's like tabby bry didn't you learn the lesson that you told yeah. to us in your own post? It really what are you doing? I really am. It makes me sad to think that this Thanksgiving, Tabby Bry might be upstairs writing a novelization of like Gax. Yes. Um, yes. While they should be yes. downstairs having yes. Thanksgiving dinner with their family. So uh, really not to camp on this any, any longer, but just because it made me think of it. Uh, this Tabby Bry situation made me think of an old joke from Arrest Development to show that you and I love. Yes. Um, but when uh, Tobias uh, suggests that he and Lindsay have an open marriage, um, uh, Lindsay asks, does that ever work? And Tobias goes, oh, well, no, they always people always delude themselves into thinking it'll work. <laughs> but maybe for us. And that's what I feel like is going on with Tabby Bry. Oh, Tabby like, Bry. Mm, but it, maybe the Spyro novelization will be the one that works. You never know. I can't. You should follow Tabby Bry and just see what they come up with next. I mean, they're, platformer. they're current. They're like they they the last they posted was New Year's Eve 2020. So, I mean, it's yeah, been, so they, they probably haven't learned their lesson yet. You're I mean, probably going to see something else soon. Yeah, it's been a while, but I'm i'm really hoping for for an update so yeah um yeah yeah so that that wraps things up uh what have um what have you been playing recently watching um, playing not yeah not not playing a lot not doing a lot actually between being sick and um recently uh you know i've recovered from being sick but recently i got uh, a rather large tattoo uh, yeah i got a sleeve on the my entire right arm um, so my right arm is kind of out of commission for a few days there. So I can really uh, play much or do much. Um, but it, it, as of the last couple of days, it's, it's pretty, pretty much back to normal. So that's been fun. Uh, I got, yeah, I got, so I got a uh, sleeve on my, my right arm now. Uh, and Edgar, my fiance, uh, we took him yesterday to get a sleeve on his right arm as well. Nice. Um, so he's actually in bed right now healing. Um, so when you see us at, at, uh, at your wedding, we're yeah. going to be all tatted up how so like when you were trying to figure out which digimon you wanted to put on your arm how did you when did you well, run out of ideas so here's the thing how many could they fit 
here's the thing they have they have sora in so many costumes and so many oh you got all the sora kingdom hearts that and so sense. it was like how do i pick just one sora um it was you know it was tough true it's better than having just a bunch of like nomura style large zippers just tattooed all over your arm well that's the thing too though i was like which version of mickey and what level of zippering do i want on on my on my exclusively kingdom hearts tattoo sleeve which is what i got yeah um yeah so that was a struggle but my artist really he really leaned into it good yeah i look forward to actually seeing what you did get yeah um we can play a guessing game maybe on the show but when you see that'll be interesting i think when you see it you will have really no idea oh okay well then i then i don't care uh no i i I do i look forward to seeing it um no it's a it's a very specific thing i think just when most people see it uh they're very confused and they have no idea what well i know you've been doing something since we last recorded you were on darkest dungeon the other night Mm, yes i was on darkest dungeon i have picked that up um darkest dungeon is very good um have you played it no it is very good um it is a game though that demands your full time and attention and that is why i have not picked it up yeah and it's it's the kind of game where uh it's the kind of game that is relaxing when you have a million deadlines of other important things to do so your brain is desperately trying to fire on all cylinders but not concentrate on the actual things you have to get done um it is not so great uh, of a game to just like chill out and play though anything else uh that's about it okay. uh how about you uh well i did mention your talent so i won't go more into that um great game very annoying side quests um but i can forgive a lot of its faults because its story is just and music is just so good um I got my OLED switch. Finally, oh, I right. haven't really. Oh, I, I should say I, I am almost done with Metroid Dread. I oh, have, nice. I, I have been I, continuing to play that. I, I have. I, I can now start it, but I haven't yet because I'm trying to finish near stuff first. Um, so, yeah, uh, Miranda and I have been rewatching Bond movies, the Daniel Craig Bond movies after we saw No Time to Die. Um, so we did Casino Royale, which is my favorite Craig Bond movie, uh, and did Quantum of Solace last night, which I think is not as bad as people say it is. I agree. Um, I like that movie. And yeah, I just bought tickets to for Dune and for Eternals. So looking forward to those as well. Um, yeah, I'm looking very forward to Dune. Um, are you familiar with Dune in any way, shape, or form? Uh, I did not read it, I but my dad loves Dune. And so really? I, I learned uh, a lot from him. I have forgotten a lot of it, too. Um, but yeah, he is... Um, I, at this point, I think Dune's been failed at a bunch of times. So I don't know if I, I would say he's excited like for this movie, but I know he'll want to see it at some point. Um but yeah, he uh, Dune was one of his favorite books, or maybe is. I, I actually, I think he likes Lord of the Rings more. But uh, Dune is a top book for him. Yeah, your father has very good taste. I'm obsessed with Dune. I'm extremely excited for the movie. Um, the thing with Dune uh, that kind of I'm finding is um, I love like you know I'm deep into the Dune series. There's a bunch of books. Only some of them are written by the original author Frank Herbert. Um, I, so far, I've only been sticking to the actual Frank Herbert books, but there's like just a ton of them. Um, it's an amazing, amazing series. Um, the bummer I find with Dune is that pretty much everyone knows 
Dune one, uh, book one, and kind of leaves it off there because Dune one is very much its own self-contained story. The actual plot of the Dune series doesn't really even begin until like Dune book four. Um, so like everyone's going to see the Dune the movie and they're going to be like, that was awesome. And it's part one of two and they're going to see part two and they're going to be like, that's great. And then there's going to be no more Dune movies. And it's like, oh, but the actual plot of the entire Dune series is like never, there's never going to be an adaptation to it. And it's Interesting. Fun. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. I actually want to hear your thoughts on it then. You can, yeah. you can over explain stuff to me and I won't mind because I, I'll enjoy uh, how into the book you are, even if I don't it's, know what you're talking it's about. It's going to, it's yeah, it's going to be a lot of like, none of this is relevant because book four takes place 5,000 years later. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of that. It's interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, well they, thank you for yeah. uh, giving me the opportunity to actually play this game finally. And, and just big thank you to you also for giving me the opportunity to watch Misery and play Chrono Trigger. So this was a fun series. And I think we should do this again at some point. We're going to come up with some other like fun ideas for, for series and stuff. I know we've got some good ideas in the, in, in the pipeline for um, video games. Uh, we do not know what we're doing next time. Um, we'll figure it out. We will figure it out. Um, but as always, this yeah. has been Aaron and this has been James. Thank you everyone. And thank you, Aaron. Th and thank you. Take care. <laughs>